0: Thanks again for joining me for another edition of March 4th with Mike Bauman. I, of course, am your host, Mike Bauman. Whoever you are, wherever you are listening from, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. If you're a returning listener, I greatly appreciate your continued love and support. And if you're a brand new listener of the show, man, thank you so much for hopping aboard that pirate ship. You can follow me on Instagram at March 4thPod, on Twitter at Mike V Bauman and the host site is march marchfourth.podbean.com. The link tree is in the podcast description. Y'all made it here, so you found me somehow. And I greatly appreciate you guys hopping aboard that pirate ship, baby, because this week's episode is going to be a lot of uh it's going to be a lot of fun for me. I say fun. Uh it's a heavy episode, but I say fun just because um I, I I'm just really excited that I was able to get somebody on here who really means a lot to me on a personal level. You know, for those of you who may not know, because this might be the first time you're listening to the podcast, most of the guests on this show are musical guests just because, selfishly, I love music and it means a lot to me in my life. It's a form of therapy in a lot of ways. I don't know what I would do without it. So, selfishly, I have a lot of musical artists on the show and share their stories of perseverance and moving forward because it's just something that I really love. I've gravitated to it since I was a kid I don't have a musical bone in my body I've got zero rhythm to speak of. I can't even do the friggin what do they call it the floss dance and stuff i I, I you know it would probably go viral if I posted a clip of me trying to do that dance because I just I' have zero rhythm whatsoever but I love music and when I'm feeling down or I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling happy or I'm just trying to excuse me just trying to lock in you know if I'm working on something at work and I'm in a you know, a spreadsheet, and I put on some, some Time Cop 1983, some synth wave, and then when I'm working out, I want to listen to some heavier stuff, you know what I mean, like, it's just, it's always something that's been there for me, but having said all that, I made a concerted effort in 2021 to try to expand the, the guests that I have on this show, as far as stepping outside of just musical artists, you know, um, I had John Amato from Juke Mode at the beginning of the year in 2021, um, just a couple months back, I had Jaden from the Self-Pause app, which is a positive affirmation app on the show. And obviously, I work in friends and colleagues of mine in addition to, to musical artists. So I, I just really want to make sure that I'm trying to do what I can. Not everybody's going to pick up what you're putting down. You know what I'm saying? You ain't going to be everybody's flavor. And that's okay. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I really just wanted to try to give a little bit of something for everybody on this show. And I said fun at the top of this. It's fun for me because this dude means a lot to me. The topics that we're going to touch on, though, on this episode are actually quite heavy. So it's not topics that I would say, if you were talking amongst people out in the world, you would consider that stuff that we're going to be touching on in this podcast as quote-unquote fun. But the show is fun for me because I'm just so thankful that he was willing to do it. And he's one of my favorite people on the planet. And he is none other than one of my best friends in the whole world, Chad Zerniak. Chad has been sober now for a little over a year. And if you are new to the show, the meaning behind the name March 4th is perseverance and moving forward. And this was a show that I had in mind, a podcast that I wanted to do for several months in terms of this episode with Chad you know, but at the same time, everybody's on their own path, and he's he's been through a lot, too, in the last year, you know, with his sobriety and things that he's gone through on a personal level, and I just wanted to wait for the right time, and I really felt like this was the right time. Um, he actually turned 34 yesterday at the time that all of you will be hearing this podcast. It'll be March 22nd, and his birthday is March 21st, which is the same as my niece. I love you, Aubrey. Happy birthday. Uh, Uncle Mike's got something coming for you, but um, I digress. But uh, I just wanted it to be the right time, and you know, Chad and I, you know, there's been times over the years where where we've had periods where you know we've gotten into it. Uh, We don't see eye eye to eye on everything, to say the least. But we also have a lot of common interests of the music we listen to. You know, he and I and. Another mutual best buddy of ours, Dave Nowak. We've taken numerous road trips over the years, going to sporting events, going to concerts. You know, all three of us really love Killswitch Engage. You know, all that remains, Bullet for My Valentine, Metalcore in general. We all really love, man. But um, we've had a lot of fun times over the years. But along the way, with Chad in those fun times, and and really away from Dave and I, there was substance abuse issues going on with him. And like I said, just a few moments ago, there's been there's been a few times where Chad and I have um, not seen eye to eye. And unfortunately, that led us to to not, you know, communicate for, for periods of time. But, but we love each other. And we really are like brothers from other mothers, you know, so we've always been able to reconcile. And I'm the type of person, man, that You know, I really, that really means something to me to, to, to reconcile with, with people because I don't ever want to go to the grave and and not be speaking to somebody that I love, whether it's a friend of mine, whether it's a family member, I just think that life is too short and I'm not trying to tell anybody else how to live out there. But, you know, I really think when you hold grudges, it's like that old quote, you know, it's like drinking poison and hope the other person gets sick. You're only hurting yourself when you hold on to anger or you hold on to, you know, past beef that really when you look at a lot of the dumb stuff that we fight about in this world, you know, especially with friends and family, some of it, some of it's pretty heavy and serious, but then there's, there's a lot of times too, where it's like, it's a simple phone call or simple text to try to reconcile. And I know that sometimes there are things beyond reconciliation, but he and I are just really close and I would never ever want to lose a friend over some dumb stuff. And um so having said all that, uh, we've known each other since we were ten years old. And we're like I said, we're in our mid thirties now. So we've known each other a long time, and and his story there's some there's some common threads with with, with me, uh, and my life and my childhood as you guys will hear. I don't want to give too much away but um but it's a heavy conversation you know it's 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 one that um is emotional and and it's it's the longest podcast that i've ever done but it also felt like 5 minutes talking to each other i feel like we could have talked for 5 hours because number 1 both of us have the gift of gab but number 2 when it's somebody that you love like a brother and you're talking about things that that are important to you and things that you feel like could help people you know we could have gone on for a lot longer but i i i just really When I listen back on this episode, I'm just really proud of him. I'm really proud of how far he's come. And I just really felt like his story was worth sharing if he was willing to share it um, on this platform. Because we go to some places that aren't easy to go to. And I say it a lot when I talk to my guests. I, I never want to come off as exploitative because that's not where I'm coming from. It's really coming from a genuine place of the theme of the show is perseverance and moving forward. That's the meaning behind the name, March 4th. So, you know, to get to the light, you often have to walk through the darkness first. And uh, there's a lot of darkness here in this one, but it's one that I really think will help people out there who are struggling with whatever it is, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's an abusive relationship, whether maybe it's self-deprecating thoughts about yourself, like I struggle with, you know, things like anxiety, depression, OCD tendencies, you know, needing to believe in yourself more, there's a lot here that uh, you know we all go through in life. So while you might not share the the same experiences that Chad and I have had growing up, and and, and the same ones that he talks about in this episode, I really think that there's going to be something here that you can get out of it in terms of pushing forward in your own life and understanding that even at rock bottom, you know you can still get back up. So without further ado, I'm gonna show my big yapper and give you guys my conversation with one of my best buddies in the whole world, Chad Zerniak. Here it is. Oh, man. Well, Chad, thanks for for doing this, man. Like I said, um, we were just talking before I officially hit record. Like, I love you like a brother, man. I was just thinking, just even as we were talking, I'm like, man, I think I I was – not I think, I know. I was in fifth grade when we first met because – i i have this it's weird dude i have this um i don't even know if i've told you this like i have these like we all have them i shouldn't say i have them but like we all have those i don't know what you call them like flashball memories or whatever but i vividly remember photo
1: photogenic or photographic
0: yeah yeah like yeah i remember being uh in fifth grade so for people listening to this like Chad and I are from Toledo, Ohio, Northwest, Ohio, right on the border of Michigan, Detroit's like our attic, you know, it's only an hour away on I-75. So it was a great place to grow up for like sports and music and everything, because we were within an hour, of Detroit, two hours from Cleveland. We have Cedar point on the way to Cleveland and Sandusky, like Columbus, Ohio state, the Michigan rivalry, Ann Arbor, like all that's an in, in earshot. Well, growing up, I went to public school, but I was raised Catholic as was chad so our church was christ the king church so starting in 5th grade if i took uh religious education classes which we called ccd classes as a public school student i could play sports for the church and that's what i did and i chad and i first met when i was 10 years old cuz it was 5th grade so we're talking the like late summer of 1998 like we're talking the yeah, like, august oh. of of 98 <laughs> Which yeah. is insane because yep. we're we're both approaching 34. When this comes out, we'll both we'll both be 34. But I have that memory of I remember your dad coming to pick you up from practice, and I remember Jordy, and he and which is crazy because I mean y'all got like those great Zerniak beards, man, and he's like taller than me now. All of y'all are taller than me now, but um,
1: dude, Jake and Jordy are both taller than I am. Dude, I
0: and I remember Jordy, I still I still have this memory. I remember that lawn which apparently is mostly a parking lot or maybe all of a parking lot now at Christ the King, but there were there we practiced on like the baseball fields a, as fifth and sixth graders. And I just remember your dad coming to pick you up and I remember your brothers being there and I remember Jordy was just like a little tyke. He was probably How old is he now? Cuz he looked like he was probably like the memory I have, he was like 3 or 4. And I think somebody picked him up and you could even, he was like still in like almost diapers. So he might even been younger than that, but I still have that memory. 20, uh,
1: 28, 20, he just turned 28 in uh, December and then Jake will be, uh, Jake will be 31 in April and then I'll be 30, 34, March 21st. Okay. So maybe
0: uh, he wasn't wearing diapers because then that means he would have been like five. He would have been a five-year-old then, right? When you were in fifth grade. Yeah.
1: Joy, he, uh, fight, yeah, he was fresh out of them probably a few weeks before that. We, uh, him off to the big boy fan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, man, like I, but I still, I still remember that. And then we became tight. Like once I actually started going to Christ the King in junior high. So I went to Hiawatha elementary and then in junior high, which I don't even know if they call it junior high anymore. I think they just call everything like middle school now and stuff. Um, yeah. but, uh, and, and quick aside, my brain does this a lot, but I didn't know this was a thing. So like when I was in college, man, it was always like, oh, I'm a freshman, I'm a sophomore, I'm a junior, I'm a senior. There were some interns at the company I worked for, you know, during my, my day job. And I remember this dude introduced himself to me and, and he wasn't an intern on our team. He was like with it or something. And I said, oh yeah, man, where'd you go to school? And he told me the university. And he was like, I'm a, I was like, oh yeah, what, what, you know, what grade you had over there, man, how, how much time you got left? And he was like, I'm a rising junior. And I thought like, like rising, like what, you know what I mean? Like I didn't say anything, yeah. but I'm like, and, and so I actually Googled it and I guess it means like you're in between, like you're, you're going to be a junior, but I don't know. So anyway, but junior high, uh, that's just my bird brain, everybody, but junior high was when I started going to Christy King seventh and eighth grade. And that's when we became closer. I mean, we played you know football together. I don't think we were on the same basketball team until eighth grade, but we played football all the way through eighth grade. Then we played freshman year. I like to tell people that was when I retired. I don't like to say I quit because I still, I, you know, we, we gave it a full year. We gave it a full freshman year. And then hey, I was we were, like, I retired.
1: <laughs> we, we were We were on the practice squad. That's what that's what we were. We were we practice were. squad players.
0: <laughs> we were we were glorified tackling dummies. That's basically what yep. we were. We were the guys that wore raggedy, smelly yellow shirts that I'm I'm sure have only been washed probably 5 times since 2002 when we were freshmen at Central. Yep. And we would run the team we were playing that week, we would run their plays against the first yep. team offense and defense cuz they didn't Man. want the the they didn't want the the guys who were playing most of the <laughs> minutes. Uh, killing each yep. other, so they 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 just tried to kill us Monday through Friday. Um, as a freshman, yeah. I was five nine, a buck twenty, and I'm like six foot one, sixty 160, one, sixty five now, depending <laughs> on how much ice cream and cheat meals I eat. But uh, I was a little guy playing offensive and defensive line, so it wasn't it was it wasn't a lot of fun.
1: I remember getting mad about not getting any playing time because all I had a choice of was offensive or defensive line. And I'm just like, why am I not playing? Why am I not this? And it was one of those, you know, I went up to the coach and he goes, how do you expect to get any playing time when you run a 14 second, 40 yard dash? And I was like, ah, you got a good point on that. (laughs) Who, Who said that to you? Was it Kat? I uh, dude, it. might've been, I don't, I don't remember, but it just kind of, was just kind of like, yeah, you do have a good point there. Plus, plus I'm good size, but our offensive line was mammoth at the time. So I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm probably, probably behind the eight ball on this one plus I can't run worth a lick. So <laughs> it's kind of not working in my favor.
0: Yeah. I I'm not bitter when I look back, honestly, because um, I was, <laughs> I was way out of position. Like for my size, I should have been like a DB or like a wide receiver. But I am like so slow. Like I think I think my 40 was a 5'2 40. And for perspective, there's like linemen in the NFL who run like four eights or four sevens. And I was five right. nine above 20 running a five-two as a 14-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> and for perspective, for people listening to this too, the guys that we were playing with, another reason I'm not bitter at all, because I shouldn't have been starting. Um, I did start on punt team. That's like my one claim to fame with freshman football. Uh, I got in on that. I, I, I got in on that probably because I just sacrificed my body all practice. And they're like, we got to give this dude something for getting his head kicked in every day by dudes who are like (laughs) 80 pounds heavier than him. But, um, the people that we played with as freshmen for people listening to this, I mean, a lot of our friends and family people we know are going to listen to this, but for, for listeners who who aren't from Toledo, the guys we played with ended up winning the state championship as, as seniors, like that was our senior class. So (laughs) suffice to say it's, it was probably a good thing that Chad and I weren't out there right? because <laughs> right, we, we were, we were playing with guys who ended up, you know, winning the state championship in Ohio for football in division two. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Um, so we, we met when, when I, uh, when we were both in fifth grade and then I started going to Christ the King in junior high and then high school, I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like our bond like as buddies, like got closer, obviously we met our buddy Matt Mernon in high school You and Dave had been tight since like second grade. Um, And I just remember we started going to like storm games and stuff. And then when we went into college, we took some road trips down to Dayton and would watch like, you know, the Dayton, the former Dayton Bombers of the ECHL, um, you know, East Coast Hockey League. And so we've had a lot of good times together over the years, man. But um, I think one thing, too, that you and I share in common that, um, you know, some people listening to this will probably share in common, too, is both of our parents are are divorced we come from divorced homes and and they got divorced around the same time i believe right like my mom and dad were divorced so when i met you in 5th grade they got divorced the summer going into my 6th grade year so in 1999 so i was okay. i was 11 years old when when their divorce was final
1: so ours i'll i'll always remember the date because it's just a series of nines September 9th of 99, which was when the divorce uh, became final. Um, but a lot of it, I mean, it was a lot of stuff going going on beforehand. Like, you knew, you knew the direction that it was going. It was ultimately going to end up there. But like, I can think back to like seven, you know, when I was seven, when I was eight, you know, we're, you know, sleeping at our grandparents' house or doing something. And it's just like, yeah, this, this isn't going to end well. It's just kind of a matter of when.
0: I was going to say, so, so, um, like you, you kind of knew it was coming then too, because that's kind of how I felt too. Like a year before my mom and dad got divorced, I, you know, I, I remember a lot of times, like after dinner, they would tell us, like, to go downstairs and play. And like I could hear them arguing upstairs in the kitchen and then witnessed a couple of those, you know, firsthand as a, as a, as a kid. And uh, and again, I don't want them to feel bad when they hear this. I love them both and I have good relationships with them and, you know, it all worked out for the best. And both of my step-parents have been in my my life now for, gosh, like 20 years, you know, two decades. So all that to say though, like, um, you know, and, and I'll ask you this, but like, as a kid, it does affect you, man. Like, um, I remember very vividly, like you said, you remember the date. I remember the day my dad moved out. <laughs> I was all hyped. Like, so you know me very well as a, uh, as a big Pistons fan, which I am. Um, and, and, and I'm Detroit, everything except the Tigers, not because I hate the Tigers, but just because my dad's a Reds fan and my uncles were Reds fans and, and, and uh, you know, so I just grew up like a Reds fan. Um, but I remember the day he moved out, it was a Sunday And the Red Wings were playing the Colorado Avalanche. And this is at like the height of that rivalry. You know, we're talking like, you know, the year after Detroit went back to back. It was the 98-99 season. And dude, I swear to God, like Detroit was winning like one to nothing. And then I remember um, seeing my dad walk down the steps with, like, a suitcase, and he was just really quiet. And I was like, What the hell is going on? And I swear to you, man, like, not, it wasn't like immediately, but not long after that, Colorado scored. They ended up winning the game like two to one. And that always like stuck in my memory. I'm like, It was just like bad juju. But, yeah. um, but I remember the day he moved out, and then, um, they were separated, obviously, before, um, they got divorced. But, but I think the effect it had on me, man, was like, It made me very, like, uh, it made me very protective of myself. it made me very guarded, and also I remember um i i just i I remember hearing stuff about you know kids like who go through divorce and and acting up and stuff as a result because you know they're kids they don't know how to deal with it and um and I just remember being like, man, I really gotta like take care of business because I know that like my dad's not in the house anymore, I know that my mom is going to work every day. Kalen was, you know, two years younger than me at the time. She was only in like third grade. Greg was Greg, my my oldest brother. Um, you know, from from my mom and my dad. Anyway, there's Greg, me, and Caitlin. We're all two years apart. And then my oldest brother Brandon. We have different moms, but he's six years older. Shout out Brandon. But but uh, you know, he he's always been a man of few words, and I think he kind of internalized everything. And I was emotional. Um, I've I've always kind of been like that. I wear my heart on my sleeve. But it it made me, like I said, it made me very protective of myself and it made me, I, I think in a way, kind of when I look back now, like, and I'm still like this where it's like, I'm kind of a perfectionist. I was like, I know my mom and dad are going through a lot, so I don't want to start acting a fool in school and stuff. Cause that's just going to make things harder for them. So like I was, I, I, I didn't have anybody hovering over me to make sure I got homework done and all that. So it, it made me, it made me have to like really grow up fast. And then I think as I got older you know, I'm, I'm kind of an introverted extrovert, as you know, and I think, you know, with relationships and stuff, especially romantic relationships, I think now as an adult, I realize like, I, I'm, I, I don't really let a lot of people in It it just made me really guarded. And I, and I've learned to kind of open up more with people, but to this day, there's probably like, you know, five people, you know, one, one or two hands that I can trust with my life. So I say all that as my preamble to throw it to you, you know, not that I want to get into, a bunch of horrible memories and stuff. But just the fact that both of us come from divorced homes, are there things now as an adult that you look back on that time in your life and you're like, man, it really planted some seeds in like how I am, like in in terms of my personality, seeing that at a a young age.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Because, you know, whereas you were the the middle child um, and not taking anything away from that, uh, but I was the oldest one. And, you know, with Jake being three years younger and Jordan being six, you know, me at fifth grade, you know, that puts them at, you know, even significantly younger. Fourth grade, you know, third and fourth grade is really when I remember it, you know, starting to get bad. Um, But, you know, my thought was, you know, first to protect my brothers, to you know, make sure that they, you know, because they didn't know what was going on. They're, you know, mom and dad are together one minute and the next minute they're like, you know, we're at grandpa's, you know, we're at grandma and grandpa's. We were at you know, uh, on mom's side, on dad's side. And they didn't know what the heck was going on. I did, um, you know, and I was trying to to kind of be not really like a peacekeeper between my parents, but just to kind of trying to hold out all hope, <laughs> you all know, that somehow they could, uh, that the uh, marriage could be salvaged. We could still be a family again. Um, and then I remember it was just, you know, stuff with not not to take anything against my mom but you know at the same time you know that stuff how how my mom was kind of shaped a lot of of you know how i you know as far as like viewing trusting women or you know viewing like you know a, a mother in a in a relation or in a you know as far as like siblings and children go um, cause I remember my dad was always the one that was looking out for us. You know, he was, he was wanting to make sure that we were picked up from school. We had somebody there to watch games. We had somebody to, to get us new school supplies, new clothes, you know, take us out to dinners, you know, just always wanting to be there. And our mom was, you know, the opposite. She was finding a way around things, you know, it'd be seven, eight o'clock at night. She was supposed to pick us up um you know because when they had the switched off visitation and she's telling us oh i forgot i had a doctor's appointment or oh i got you know i had a flat tire and I'm, i was so close to you guys and i'm waiting on a tow truck and my brothers and i are like oh you know shit we if you're really close we'll just ride our bikes to you so We ride our bikes all over looking for a tow truck in our mom's car she's nowhere to be found you know we're trying to call her on you know and i i had a uh my dad kind of left this emergency cell phone that we we're able to use. So we're trying to call her on that, and she's nowhere to be found. Looking back on it, she probably wasn't even in the vicinity. But as kids, we believe that. And As you know, the oldest brother, I'm, you know, I, in the back of my mind, knew that, you know, this wasn't happening. But you know, just to, for my youngest brother's sake, was trying to be strong for them. Um, but in effect, you know, kind of going forward, I was, you know, noticing certain things. You know, especially even when we were kids. Like my mom had struggled with addiction, and uh, you know, would play it off as, "Oh, I'm going to going to see a friend," or "I'm going to do this," and just come back. You could just tell by her mannerisms, and she'd be like, "Oh, I'm tired," or oh, "I'm this," and you know, in reality, she was she was doing what she was doing. Um, but uh, yeah, in, the, in a roundabout way, you know, that's basically what I'm trying to say. It definitely did affect me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you sharing that, man. And like, like we talked about before the jump, you know, if there's any places you don't want to go, obviously, you know, you know, I'm not trying to reopen old wounds, but just as friends, I I know that's something that that we share in common, um, especially with the age and everything. Cause for people who don't know, Chad, Chad is usually the person to, to lighten up the room. Um, I think both of us have, um, you know, not to toot, toot toot the horns for us both, but I think we both have pretty decent senses of humor. I don't think everybody always gets our sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I feel like you and I are the type that, um, and I don't know, I don't know. Looking back, if that's something that came out of the divorce, um, you tell me with with your situation. But I feel like, I I feel like when you when you have stuff as a kid, you don't know how to express it for me, music was always a big help. Heavy music. Um, I wore out the, the corn untouchable CD. I still have it to this day that came out this summer between eighth grade and freshman year. And that record got me through like so much. And to this day, I love heavy music. And pe- there's so many people I know who know me or they, they, they know people who know me and they're like, Oh, I can't believe Mike listens to that stuff. Cause people just have this image in their head of just like angry, like aggro white dudes, I guess when it comes to heavy yeah. metal, but But it was always like therapy for me. But getting back to the sense of humor thing, like even even as a kid, I I tried to, you know, I liked making my friends laugh. I love making making my siblings laugh and like my family laugh. And like I come from like a humorous kind of like Irish family on my mom's side, especially, you know what I mean? And like and I and, and that was something that like when I started going to school with you, that's what I always like, like you you were like just a big goofball you know what I mean like like whether it was like recess or the lunch table or like you're the guy like I didn't want to sit next to if we had like song practice you know which was this thing for people listening in Catholic school it was actually kind of nice because you had like an afternoon where it was like you had no class because you would go to the you go to church and uh it was Mr. Valley was like the music director at Christ the King and we would do song practice and you know everything is funny when you're 12, but it's especially funny when you have funny friends. And I just remember it was like, (laughs) it was like you and like Mike Walker and Evan O'Rourke. I didn't want to be around because I knew it'd be really hard for me, like not to laugh. But was that something for you? Cause like, when I look back, I I think maybe in some ways that kind of came out of the divorce for me, like, um, there was so much I kept to myself and there was so much that I was dealing with. I was like, humor and music were my ways to cope like do you for you were were those coping mechanisms
1: oh 100 percent. and uh you know music wise we're on the same you know we're on the same level we're both obviously big you know heavy in the metal kill switch um all the remains you know that kind of stuff uh trey you you know those are my three favorite bands but you know corn's awesome i mean we could go on and on talking about music um but as far as humor wise goes absolutely um because you know when you're when you're at that point and it just seems like everything at, at home or everything, you know, outside of around your friends is going to shit. You can kind of use that, that humor and in, in making people laugh as a mask, you know, it's, it's a sense of belonging. It's like people are, are coming to you for a joke or they know you're going to say something stupid in class or, you know, song practice. We're going to mock, you know, somebody's voice or something like that. And when you have people laughing, you know, for a, for a short while, excuse me, that is able to, you know, kind of take away from the pain of, of what you're feeling at home, you know, what you're feeling in your real life, you know, and then you get home and it's just like, it, it, you know, I wish I would have taken my studies a little bit more seriously. Like I did being like, Oh, I want to be around my friends because this is kind of my outlet to, to be, you know, away from that. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely humor. And that's what I kind of, you know, I latched onto that and I just didn't want to let it go. Cause it was a short, you know, I, it was a short time, but it was like, you're masking it. You're, you're, you're basically just milking it for all it's worth to make people laugh, to make people smile. Because like I said, you know, when you face the reality of stuff at home and what's going on in your personal life, you know, there's, there's, unfortunately wasn't a lot of smiles.
0: Yeah. And when I look back to man, like, um, you know, it, it, it I, I just remember there were times in junior high, like you would get in trouble And most of the time it was for clowning. It wasn't because you were bullying somebody or because you were, you were doing something like, like bad, bad. Like it was because like you guys were clowning. Like I, I'll never forget you and you and our, our, our good buddy, Nate croak. We had these long, I don't know, maybe kids listen to this. will know what we're talking about, but we had like legit blackboards at Christ the King. And we had those, those long, you know, where this is going. We had those long erasers, like, like they were, I don't even know, like a foot long. And you know when it was crappy outside, obviously you have indoor recess and stuff, but there wasn't always adult supervision and we had to wear black dress pants and white shirts. That was like our uniform or like Navy dress pants. So in a 13, 14 year old boy's mind, it's like game on because we're going to take these dusty (laughs) erasers and, and just whack the hell out of each other. And I remember <laughs> you and Nate, your pants were basically like a different color because you guys just went totally to town with this. And you would have thought that you guys like murdered two 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 of our classmates. Like they, they shut stuff down for like a week in terms of like, we had like the whole eighth grade, both eighth grade classes. There's two eighth grade classes and we had to sit inside with the teachers in the classroom for like a week. And I don't know if you and Nate had some like detention outside of that too, but like that you would have thought like we killed, like you guys killed people. It was just like, when I look back at some of the Catholic school stuff and that was the thing, like it registered more with me as an adult with, with you where it, it bummed me out when I look, look back at, at, at some of that time, because like you said, you had a lot of stuff going on at home. And I don't know that, that teachers, um, in that kind of space where they've got 64 kids, you know, and we had counselors and stuff like we had Mrs. Crott and she was amazing, but like, I just I, I, it, I don't think that people realize like, there's almost like, there's, there's almost not enough staff, I think at times in schools to, to handle, um, every individual kid. Right. And also people, people have things going on that you don't know about and certain kids are good at hiding certain things. But like, when I look back, it bums me out that I feel like, and again, this isn't, this isn't a knock on the staff at Christ the King or any of the teachers there, you know, I've educators in my family um, who I love and I, and I know how hard it is, but it's like, I think like guys like you got labeled as like a clown And you got in trouble for stuff, but I don't know that there was, I don't know that, that the school that we went to, let me put it like this. I don't know that they had the resources or the time dedicated to be like, yo, this kid's parents got divorced when he was 11 years old. He's the oldest of three boys. His dad's driving a truck. He works weird hours. So Chad has is Chad's basically like the dad at home when Mark is gone working. And that's a, that's a lot of heavy stuff for an 11 year old, 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old brain. Right. And I just feel like, I don't know, like I said, it's not to point a finger at any one teacher or any one staff member at Christ the King, but I don't know when I look at some of the stuff that happened later on with you in your life, which we'll get into as we grew up and became young men and and, and adults in this world, like. I don't know that there was enough time given to your situation where people really investigated and got you know, man, like, you know, this kid's got a lot of other stuff going on that, that a lot of these other kids don't. And we, we have to, we have to handle this on a, on a one-off basis and really work with him because, you know, you hear it all the time, like, and you learn it as you get older, whether it's the kid who's the bully or the kid who, who might be the class clown, there's a reason that behavior is occurring. Right. And and more right. often than not, it's because something's going on at home. And, um, and I, and it, when I look back, it, like I said, it's not, it's not a knock on any of the staff there, but I just, I don't know that, that where we went to school, even though I think we got a good education there, I don't know that there was enough given to, to your situation. You know, when I, when I really look back on how they handled certain things with you and how, how you kind of got labeled and even, and even like Mike Walker, another one of our friends. I mean, I don't want to share all his personal business, but he had home stuff too and stuff going back to when he was a kid, you know, cause I've known him really longer than anybody in my life outside of my family. We went to preschool together. So I've known Mike since I was like three years old and, uh, same kind of thing, you know, he would get labeled for stuff because he was a clown, you know what I mean? And they, and I feel like there just wasn't, uh, I, I just wish I, and, and maybe things are better now, whether it's there or, or other schools, and that's why I think counselors like people like my cousin, Lindsay are, are so important to, to the lifeblood of a school because they can reach kids. I think in ways that, that other authority figures can't, but anyway, that's a long rant just to say that I, I, um, I feel bad when I look back, man, because as somebody who also went through divorce at the same time, you know, I, I handled things in in different ways, but I, I know what that's like to like, get up in the morning and like get my sister out of bed, get her ready for school, go down to the bus stop. And like, there's responsibilities that guys like you and I had, and it's not to say that we're better than anybody, but, but just, there's things that we went through at a young age that the average kid who, who was coming from a a, a happy marriage household didn't have to deal with. And, um, I just don't think that things were handled the best with you when I really look back on all of that.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I definitely appreciate that, but you know, looking at it as far as, you know, you had the same thing. Uh, You know, I, I, you know, you had parents divorced, I had parents divorced, you know, you mentioned Mike with, with what he had going on. You know, there was, there was others that had, you know, I don't know anybody else's, but you know, I, I know basically, you know, we, we weren't the, not to discount what we were going through, but I just don't think that at the time there was kind of, you know, maybe adequate staffing, I suppose, or one that really, you know paid attention to what's going on um you know but you know ultimately I've does it bother me in a sense yes but at the same time it you know I I think it kind of helped make me stronger for you know the man I am going into today you know because I had to you know like you I had you know siblings to get ready for school I had to you know help them with homework when my dad was working I had to you know help make dinners I had to Full laundry, you know, do, do different household chores, you know, that most kids are, are fortunate to not have to worry about like growing up in a single parent household. It's like, you know, if we don't get this done, if we don't help dad out, then dad has to sacrifice time from work to help us, which in turn, I mean, it just, it just throws off the whole balance of, you know, us. So it just helped me to learn, you know, responsibility. You may, you know, you have to grow up faster than most kids do. And, you know, it's, you wish that more could have been done about it um as far as you know people being there to to be in place to be able to kind of help out the situation or kind of help remedy you know what was going on when you're kind of in that young and you know young age where you need that guidance um but at the same time like you know I, i just you know unfortunately had to you know unfortunately but also fortunately had to had to treat it as an attitude where it was just like you know what we're, you know, as our family thing that we always say is we're all we got. So, you know, being my dad and brothers and, you know, we've just always been like, you know what, we just need to get this, make the best of a situation and, and, you know, just know that we're going to get through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause, cause I think, like I said, man, when I look back, it just, it bums me out. Cause it's like, I, you and Walker, especially, I feel like there was labels attached to you guys and, um, I just, I just wish that there were people there like, like my aunt Denny who, who, you know, worked with, with the, you know, behavioral, um, gosh, I don't even know like her official title, but she, she worked in Toledo public schools for a long time and, and dealt with like, you know, behavioral specialties and things like that. And like I said, my cousin, Lindsay, um, <clears throat> is a counselor, been an assistant principal and stuff like that. And, I think there are people who go into education who really, really do want to reach kids and help them. And, and um, you know, and, and I know it's hard, man, you know, um, a lot of these, a lot of these teachers don't have um, the, the the additional staff or, or I should say these schools don't, don't always have the staff to deal with all these things that go on. And, and there's some crazy stuff that goes on at these schools. I mean, gosh, like all this school shootings, all this crazy stuff, like, it's just, But when I look back, like, I guess my point is just like, um, yeah, like we both had to grow up fast, but, um, I it's, it's like Mike and Mike and Chad aren't, they're not bad kids. They, they had, they had stuff that happened at a really young age that molded and shaped them and humor is their way of dealing with it. And, and again, I know it's just like when, when kids are acting a fool in class, if you're a teacher and you're trying to to, to go through a lesson or something with like 30, some kids, and you have like one or two who are consistently disruptive. I can see from their perspective how that's frustrating too, but it's just like, there's always a why, you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's always a why behind that. It doesn't mean they're, they're, they're bad kids necessarily. And, and, um, and I just think that those kind of labels, um, especially for a 14-year-old or 13-year-old brain those those aren't helpful for kids in those situations you know what i'm saying
1: yeah and you know my thing is you know kind of going back to that like i didn't really i didn't really necessarily get mad at the the school system per se when that kind of stuff happened like my my you know anger or just kind of disgust you know kind of came with you know i i mean you you know me well enough to know that i've had my my bouts with with religion and you know god and all that kind of stuff and where i got angry was that was just like you know we're taught about how god loves everybody equally and god does this and you know those who wander aren't lost and this and that and it's just like you know why why are god and you know the people of god in this school that they that they portray themselves as people of god why are they treating us like outcasts When we're supposed to be all you know, one you know, big loving community, and it was like I you know in my own mind you know because as a kid you know you're just you're you're at an age where it's like your brain can be formed you know your brain's being formed you know you're getting these ideas in your head you know you're just how you see the world like that's your most that's your most um, you know crucial time to be able to form your thoughts and everything of how you perceive things and going through a Catholic school. And you know, having basically, you know, I, I don't want to say that's disrespectfully, but essentially you're having God shoved down your throat every day via church, religion class, um, you know, song practice, you know, what have you. Everything's religious. But then, you know, you're kind of being treated like, you know, you're somebody less because of how you act or how they perceive how you're acting is, is just a disruption to the class and every other student. And it's just kind of like, oh, hold on a minute hold on a minute. You're, you're sitting here telling us everybody's loved equally, but when we get out into somewhere else, you're treating me like a second class citizen. Like what's going on here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it it's, it's not, it's not faith in action. Like you said, you know, uh, love everybody, treat your neighbors as you treat yourself, you know, Jesus sure. hung out with like, you know, lepers and prostitutes and sick people. And he, he hung out with the quote unquote outcasts, right. You know, as as the story goes and so yeah when you when you see that favoritism uh towards certain people or certain students and and uh there's not a lot of patience with your situation i i can see how that that sows seeds of faith you know what i mean And, and 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 honestly like uh gosh i'm gonna butcher that death cab for cutie song do you know what the song i'm talking about um where he's talking about like Catholic school can be so mean and cruel. Um, we
1: need to get, we need to get freaking Dave on the phone. He'd be able to tell you yeah. sang it, <laughs> what track it was, what album it was.
0: Yeah. That De- death Good. cab for cutie song. Um, he talks about like getting hit by the nun and, you know, she looks at him, she says, fear is the heart of love. Um, so I like, I, I never looked back like, you know, he's, he's saying like, Kind of like what we're talking about, like, Hey, we grew up with this, but unfortunately we're, we're probably going to be taking a different path as a I mean, I, and, and on one end, like, I'm thankful for the foundation that it gave me. I got a great education at Christ the King. I got a great education in high school at central, um, growing up Catholic, like the, the, the discipline and stuff that came with it. And like, you know, going to church as a family, like there's, there's a lot of beautiful things about it that I've taken but I'm complete, I've completely left the rest of it in terms of the religious aspect of it and the, uh, the favoritism that I experienced when going to school and um, people who are supposed to be people you can trust and, and they, they're not people of God at all. You know what I mean? So, um, And it's unfortunate to me because I think a lot of people turn away from God because of, of the experience of religion and not actually God, but the religions. You know, And I think that experience growing up Um, I had a pretty positive experience as a child going to church with my parents and stuff. And I was an altar boy and stuff and, you know, all that. And, and I'm thankful for that. But it was the stuff that I saw behind the scenes and and, and combined with all of the, just the, the, the physical and sexual abuse of kids that really made me just go, you know what I, I can be, I don't, I don't need. I don't need the dogma, and I don't need all that other stuff. I know how to be a good person without without these walls. You know what I mean? So again, that's not to slam Catholicism. They do a lot of charity work around the world and mission trips, and there's a lot of great authority figures that I had, like Father Mike Geiger, who did my grandma's funeral. Shout out Father Mike. Uh, he also did Dave's, our, our mutual, really you know good friend, who, whose dad sadly passed away uh, a couple months ago. He did his funeral, so. Um, those are two people. Father Ron uh, was always good to me. There, there's there's been a lot of teachers and authority figures within the Catholic school system that I was a part of that I I really appreciate. So I don't want to make this like us just bashing or me just bashing Catholicism as a whole. But um, I don't know, man. I just there's a as I grew up and and kind of learned my own spirituality and everything and. Had major surgeries as as and as a senior in high school and all that. Like in a, in a spiritual experience I had going into surgery, like I guess I just kind of realized I didn't need all that other stuff. And then when you combine it with just the authority figures we ran into, things that happened within our own diocese, all the abuse and stuff, I was like, Nah, man, I'm good. I don't need any, I don't need that anymore.
1: Right, right, no, absolutely. And uh, how you hit on, you know, how there has been good people um, you know, of faith to come in, like, you know, I'm, I'm the same way, like, you know, I, I won't get into, you know, you, you know, very well, the, uh, the, uh, depths of, of, uh, religious vitriol all that I have spewed throughout the years. Um, but, but again, that is not to take away, um, from good people that I've came across, you know, like you said, um, father Mike, um, uh, there's also, you know, I remember sitting, talking at him at, uh, you know dave and uh, colette's 50th and uh, just kind of going through you know the last few years of my life and you know h- talking about high school and just you know how how open minded he is you know i didn't i didn't get into everything but it was just one of those where you know he was like i understand people have their doubts he goes it's it's healthy to question it's it's good to have those kind of discussions you know and and, you know stuff like that it's like you know it's he it's it, it's nice to at least have Somebody that hears your voice, that can at least understand, and is not, you know, discounting your way of thinking because you don't have that way of thinking. Um, you know, I I remember Father uh, was it Father Greg, uh,
0: Father Greg, Greg, Gede, Greg yeah, he was a great, yeah. Guy.
1: And then there was also um, there was also Father, oh, it was his name when I was early grade school? He always had these really good homilies. It was uh, Father John. But I don't remember what his last name was. Um, I just remember that. I just remember it's funny thinking about this now sitting next to Mike. And uh, when they would wear the different robes and stuff, like I remember there was always like a white robe or a green robe or like a different colored one. Like Mike and I always try to be the first one, like when we saw him coming out, to, you know, come out to start church. We'd always be like if he was wearing the green one, it was it was his home jersey. His white one was the away. If it was like something seasonal, we'd be like, oh, they're throwing out the alternates today. (laughs) And uh, it's just stupid. But it was one of those that made uh, (laughs) that made math kind of funny for us. Like, oh, they're wearing the alternate uniform today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I could totally see you guys doing that. Um, Yeah, Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just saying, like, that was little things that it was like, well, you know, I was having, I was still having my doubts, like there was still certain things that made, you know, the experience of church or the experience of any kind of like religion enjoyable for me. Like that one, you know, I don't view that as like, you know, maybe it's just my thinking, maybe somebody else might perceive it differently, but I didn't think of that as like a, a hateful way that was just kind of like playful humor as far as like, the, you know, homer or away type things, or like just kind of listening to, you know, a homily, or maybe, you know, there's something in church, maybe that just kind of resonated with me. So it's not to say that it was all negative, but at the same time, like the things going on in my life and different questions that I had and just kind of some of the responses and, you know, the uh, just very condescending responses that I would get, at, you know, just kind of feel like, you know, I was less of a person for, for even having that train of thought, that's what really kind of turned me off to it. But it's not to say that all of it was bad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, man. It's like, uh, I, I take the best and I leave the rest. You know what I mean? I try to, I try to go through life, um, and just be a good person. And that's why I always beat myself up at the times where I have faltered and I haven't been the best friend or I haven't been the best son or I haven't been the best boyfriend or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? Cause Treating people the right way is like of paramount importance to me. And my grandpa was a very devout Catholic. And, um, but I think what I took from him was just how he treated people. You know what I mean? Like I wear his necklace every day. I've actually, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. I keep it with me with every podcast, but um, I I did find that death cab quick callback. I found that death cab for cutie lyric. It's from the song. I will follow you into the dark. And he says in Catholic school as vicious as Roman rule. I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black and I held my tongue as she told me, son fears, the heart of love. So I never went back. I never got hit by anybody. I think our days were well beyond that, uh, in, in the nineties, you know, in, in two thousands, but, uh, but yeah, man, um, there, there were a lot of good people along the way, man. Like even in high school, like we will, we both talked about father Mike. I mean, um, I, I remember him. I still have a, St. Michael's cross that he gave me, uh, hanging on my wall. I'm looking at it right now in my living room. Um, when I had my tumor as a senior in high school and, and I remember he came up to U of M and I didn't want any of my friends to come. Cause I didn't want you guys to see how gnarly my face looked. Cause I didn't look like me at all. I looked like I picked a fight with Tyson in his prime and lost really badly. Um, <laughs> But he came up and prayed over me and, and he's a salt of the earth guy. So like I said, I mean, if he or somebody like that listens to this, I don't want him to think that I'm slamming the church as a whole. Cause I know there's a lot of really, really good people. And for every pervert and weirdo and sicko, there's, there's, there's a lot of great guys like father Mike and father Greg and father John that you mentioned father, Ron, father, Dave, Ritchie was another great guy. Like there's a lot of really good ones in there too, man. So it's not to demean the rest of the awesome work that they do, but unfortunately those negative experiences stick with you. Um, and I guess going into high school and college, um, to kind of get where we are now, um, you know, you, you lost your grandfather. Um, I think around what was it? It was 18 going into freshman year of college. and, And I think for you, it was before the air force, right? It was, I remember it being like right after, not long after we got out of high school,
1: Yes, uh, September September 14th of 2006, um, and uh, he had had a long battle with cancer. Um, it was, I mean, it's, even still to think back on it, it was heartbreaking just to see how how fast it went. You know, just somebody full of life still, you know, just were going out to eat, going to do stuff and not, you know, he could barely talk, had no energy. Um, you know, and then, you know, we brought hospice in and he passed away. Um, and I remember that, that was a very hard time because I was, I was actually set to be going into the air force soon. Uh, they had actually called me to want to, to leave for basic training and I was working at the time. I had, uh, i had picked up a job at Wendy's before I graduated. I was working at Wendy's in the movie theaters in, uh, concessions. And I remember I came home from work one night and I told my dad, like, hey, you know, they're they're uh, they're thinking about, you know, wanting me to leave early. They're wanting me to leave. This was late August, like very early September. And, uh, you know, I was getting ready to leave. You know, I wanted to get my boot camp done so I could get done and, you know, into the operational uh, Air Force. And my dad just kind of looked at me. He goes, buddy, he goes, I want you to follow your dream. He goes, but your your grandpa doesn't have a lot of time left. He goes, and I at least want you to to be here, you know, for him, you know, when he passes on and be able to, uh, you know, be able to see him off. And then, you know, just kind of have some time to clearly clear your head and go in. He goes, because last thing I want is for you to try to go through training. And then, you know, you're focused on doing what you need to do to graduate basic. And then you've got to have on your head, you know, that your grandpa's passed away or, you know, that that's still going to be something you're thinking about. Um, even while you try to, if, if he's, you know, if he's kind of still hanging on, if you will. Um, so yeah, I remember doing that and you know, it was, they kept, they kept calling like, Hey, we got a spot. You can leave Monday. You can leave Wednesday. You can do this. And I'm like, no, I kind of want to. So we'd set by Halloween that I was going to leave. And I actually ended up leaving the 23rd. Um, but I remember that the day he passed away, day he passed away was obviously tough and then it it was you know I'm thankful for that extra time that roughly month I had between it to clear my head but you know he was he was still there it was still fresh you know I I still dreamt you know even when I was in going through uh basic I you know had dreams you know that he was there I'd wake up and forget I was there you know I think I was like, in, you know, at the house or something, and he's going to be downstairs drinking a beer. And I'm just like, Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not. <laughs> we're not there anymore. Um, but yeah, it's tough. And you know, till this day, and you know, even everything I've went through now, it's, it's been more of an affirmation that he's, he's there with me, you know, he's always been here with me for support. But, um you know, just stuff I've went through. And, you know, even then, obviously, you know, he's always been there with me in spirit.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I I lost my grandpa. It's it's odd. I didn't I I didn't realize yours was September too. My my grandpa was uh my grandpa Ratty. My my mom's dad was September first, twenty eleven, which is crazy that it it just it was ten years just a few months ago. Um, and we both had good relationships with our with our grandfathers, to say the least. I mean, that's probably that's putting it like very, you know, like bare minimum. Because I know you were really tight with your grandpa too, but you know, as we got into college and stuff like, you know, and you with the Air Corps, um, you know, I I remember like us having a good time and just to kind of bring people up to, to where we are now. Um, I kind of wanted to go through the childhood and stuff to kind of, you know, get get to where we both are as adults and the experiences we've had. But, um, you know, we would we would drink and, and party and stuff. Uh, I, but I never remember things getting like, crazy, crazy. You know what I mean? I mean, there'd be a couple of times, like, I mean, like everybody, like you drink too much, you get sick and all that stuff for you. And, and for people listening to this, um, you know, you're, you've been sober now for a year, um, a little over a year. It was January of, uh, 2021, right?
1: Yep. January 10th, 2021. So I just celebrated 13 months, and 11 days ago.
0: Congratulations again, buddy. Um appreciate it, man. It's it's been awesome to see that. But I wanted to 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 take it back to bring it up to speed now because you know, I I know the loss of your grandpa really hit you hard. And and again, understandably so, because I, I I'll never forget that phone call I got from my mom um when she told me my my grandpa died. And um, I give her credit for keeping it together because I don't think I could. Um but I know that that was a blow. And then, and then I remember, and again, I, you know, I'm not trying to rehash all these, these, these old wounds, but just to kind of set the stage for everything that's happened since and where you are now. Like, I know that was a blow and then getting discharged was a blow. At what point do you, do you remember going, man, like, I think, I think I have a, a a substance abuse issue, like how, I mean, cause that was obviously you were only 18 at that time when your grandpa passed, you know? Uh, but, but at what point, Chad, did you, did you realize like it wasn't just partying or it wasn't just having a good time and it became like a, a dependency thing where you had an issue? I, and, and what role did maybe, you know, your grandpa and the discharge from the air force and stuff. I mean, Did that play a role in, in that at all or no?
1: That, you know, it's kind of a combination of things. You know, if we go back to my parents' divorce and then my mom just, you know, just essentially disappearing from our lives, you know, she's tried in, in strange ways to get back in, you know, strange ways to say the least, uh, you know, with messages or, you know, blocked phone calls or, you know, I can go on about that, but, you know, that kind of, that you know, affected me, my grandpa, um, you know, my grandma, uh, who's unfortunately suffering from Alzheimer's and is currently in a home, you know, once kind of she started going down, um, you know, those are all contributing factors to, you know, why I chose, you know, why I started using, you know, alcohol more to mask. Um, I didn't, you know, alcohol was always, you know, once I turned, even before I turned 21, I was always drinking in some capacity, um, you know, it was more banished you know quote unquote if you will um but as far as the drug use went I didn't you know I smoked a little weed in high school um but you know I'm already naturally hungry and naturally sleepy as is So, you know I never really got the allure of I didn't have anything against it um but it was just like it never really hit me as something like I needed to do yeah Um, boozing on the weekends or you know weekdays or you know with friends after work once we were of age you know that was fun And then when I was working at uh, Vito's Pizza the the first time uh, back in 2012, 2013, I just moved into a townhouse uh, with a buddy of mine. And I remember I got home, I was bouncing at Hazard County. I just started, I took up that as second job. And uh, I remember the next day, you know, I had to bounce that night, you know, we work until the bar closes and then we stay after and drink and stuff like that. I remember I I got off vetoes. I had like an hour to go home, shower, get into what I was wearing, you know, grab a quick bite to eat and then be at uh, uh, Hazard County to bounce until close. And then we had school orders the next day at Vito's and school orders, you know, it's when the the school's orders. So you're, you know, so you're as a driver, you're taking them to all the various schools. And I had to be there at like, I want to say eight o'clock. And I was sitting there, I got home. I'm just like, dude, I don't even feel like working the night. I don't feel like going out. You know, I don't, I just want to sleep because you know the morning's going to come and I'm going to be tired, yada, yada. I get in my roommates just like, he was like, hey, got something I want you to try. And I look on the plate, and I just see this line of white powder. And I I had a feeling I knew what it was, but I wasn't 100% certain because, you know, up until that point, you know, I'm, you know, uh, mid-20s, you know, close to mid-20s, 20, 23, 24, somewhere in there. You know, I would never partook in anything outside of outside of smoking weed and drinking. Like, this was, you know, new to me. And he goes, just, just do one. He goes, you only do a lot, just do one. I did that one line. And that's literally all just that one line. And it was off to the races like that night. I mean, we, you know, I, somebody else had some at the bar. So we were doing some, I didn't even know that they did Coke in the kitchen, but I found out that night. Um, so, you know, I was doing that. I obviously didn't sleep that night, went into work the next day. And I just remember um you know, before it was like, I'm excited to get off work and maybe have a beer, or play some, you know, Xbox or, you know, go to the gym or do whatever. Well, now there's thoughts in my head that's just like, dude, I really hope we can get some more of that shit from last night. That was amazing. Like, I, where the hell has cocaine been all my life? And it was just, uh, you know, for until I went into treatment, it was like that, you know, I would, I would, I would have periods in my life, you know, what, you know, weeks, months, well, I wouldn't do coke, but then it was just like that, that ex-girlfriend that you couldn't get away from, It was just kept coming back into your life, and then it was just like, take me right down that path again, you know, so I had my times, so I was able to get away, but coke was one of those that I always kept coming back to, um, and I remember just, you know, you have your moments of clarity, you know, going through your addiction, you have your, you know, where you're just, you wake up just feeling like trash, you see yourself in the mirror, and you look like just absolute dog shit and you're like dude i gotta get control of this like you have those fleeting moments that'll come along but it's like, it's not really until you hit a rock bottom where it's just i mean you just feel no way out and like for me rock bottom was i was just like dude i am either going to kill myself or somebody's gonna like i you know i hate to sound morbid but you know my life ending in some way was the only way i saw to get out
0: of this man. And, and it's crazy, man. Cause I, I don't even, um, I think you hit it well because I, I, I remember hanging out one time with you and obviously I'm not going to include any other names in the story because it was years ago and I'm not trying to incriminate anybody on this podcast, but I remember <clears throat> we left uh, we left the bar and there was a, a group of us like three or four, And we went to this, this one dude's place and I had never been to his place before. And, uh, so we're just kind of chilling in the living room. I don't even think I had sat down and he went to the bathroom and he emerged with a bag of cocaine and it wasn't like a big bag, but it was like a a bag of cocaine. And he does a bump and he kind of looks at me and, and, uh, I was like, Oh no, man, I'm cool. And like, you know, I didn't want to be like, I felt like I knew him well enough that passing on it wasn't going to be like, Oh, this dude's going to narc. You know what I mean? Cause I, I obviously wasn't. And I, I remember, I remember looking at you and another friend that was there with us. And I just looked at, I just looked at you guys. I was like, all right, y'all I'm, I'm going to take off, man. I'm going to, I'm going to go home, call it a night, you know? And I tried, I tried to make it a situation that was really awkward, like not be awkward. Cause had never been, i had never seen it and been around it like, you know, I knew people who smoked weed and stuff. And, and and to me, weed isn't even really, I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but I um, I'm in favor of decriminalizing it. And I'm not even afraid to say that on this podcast. Cause I, I feel like um, there's just too much evidence, especially when you look at alcohol related deaths and stuff, it's like, what are we doing with pot? Why are we locking people up uh, like crazy for this stuff? But anyway, I digress, but like Coke, it it, that was to me that was like another level that was like a different step up you know what i mean like to me it's like okay you smoke a little weed you drink whatever but like cocaine it was like that was to me that was like a hard what i would consider a hard drug and um something that could be addictive you know obviously i'd never done it but i just remember trying to leave the situation and i i I still remember making eye contact with you and i and you kind of had and i don't even know if you remember this moment but you kind of had that look in your eye like if 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 I could like interpret what your eyes were saying to me, it was almost like, oh man, Bombie's kind of seeing this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, um, and I, and I just, and I left, you know, and, and we, and we never talked about it or anything like that, but you know um, when things happened last year and you went into rehab and stuff like, you know, you and I have had our disagreements over years, over the years, but we've always come back to like love and being friends, making up, apologizing, you know, like, like brothers. And I really consider you like a brother from, from another lover, man. Like for real, like you, Dave, like I would take bullets for you guys, no questions asked. And, and, and I know you do the same for me. We we just have a bond that, you know, we've known each other over two thirds of our lives, you know? Um, and I knew you had been through some stuff, like we've talked about coming from divorce, you know, the death of a loved one close to you, things not working out with the air force. And I was like, man, I, I wanted to catch a break, but I never, I didn't, I never really knew that things were that addictive for you. And, um, so I say, I give you that example of that story to fast forward to Christmas a few years ago before the apocalypse with this pandemic and everything. And I think it might've been the last Christmas I came home before the pandemic. It was like 18 or 19 and you look great. Like you had lost like 20 pounds. And I remember talking to you and, and you, you have psoriasis for people who don't know listening, you know, and, um, and you were just like, yeah, man, I've, I've really been trying to eat better and get, you know, do gluten-free stuff and stay, you know? And so, so then when things kind of came crashing down last year, which ended up obviously being a good thing because you're sober now, but when they got to the, the, the low point last year, I didn't realize how, how prevalent the the cocaine had been. Um, and so I guess like from that moment in 2013, at what point did you feel like it, it became a dependency thing and not just like, oh, if there's coke around, maybe I'll do a couple of bumps and it became like a thing where where you needed it? Uh,
1: you know, I guess my thing was it was it always was a problem, you know, if I'm looking back on it. My thing was, you know, I always tried to justify it by the fact that I would I would take little breaks from it or you know, I wouldn't do as much. Or, you know, if there was a night where I would, you know, I was, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 bucks a day, you know, when it got heavier, at least 100 bucks a day, I was blowing on it. Um, But it was one of those that I always tried to justify it. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't have a problem. I've stopped, like, it's just kind of something I do on the side. Well, then, you know, the side becomes, you know, it's whereas it's just a Friday or a Saturday night, then it's like, oh, Sunday football's on, we do this. Monday night, oh, there's a football game on, let's do this. Tuesday, we had a rough day at work, let's get some coke and make everything all better. Um, I tried to justify it in every avenue that I could. Like that, you know, when you were at my buddy's house and you saw that, like, that should have been a sign for me to be like, fuck, you're embarrassed about this. Like that should that should tell you that you're doing something wrong. My head, I was just like, oh, we just don't have to bring this group of friends around when we're trying to party, you know, when we're trying to drink or whatever. Yeah, I can hang around with those guys. But then when the night's over, you know, if we go to a game or a concert, you know, ten, eleven o'clock, oh, then I can hit up these guys and go get coked out of my mind until the sun comes up. Um, my, my rock bottom, though, really didn't even hit until, until, uh, you know, the night before I went into rehab, um, it was a weekend. Um, you know, I literally just gotten paid, but basically everything I got paid covered all my negatives from the previous week. So I'm like, you know, I here we go again, another week of of trying to make it, make it, make do of it. But my saving grace for this weekend was uh, the Browns were in their first playoff game in 20 years. You know, they had the wild card game against the Steelers and i had met a buddy up at uh my way bar in sylvania um ready came came up there i you know was drunk beforehand um and i just remember watching watching tv you know we're sitting there at the bar i was drinking a jack and coke and uh he was in my ear talking about you know he was doing some grow up or or something and you know he had all these plenty you know he's one of those friends that would just talk and you could you could hang out with him for three hours and you couldn't get a word in, edgewise. And I just remember <laughs> sitting there. I'm fucking. I'm hammered. I'm waiting on us to make this text to get some blow. And it was just like the room just went blurry. I'm just keyed in on this one TV that I'm watching. It's showing, you know, we're watching whatever the wild card game was. But then it was showing highlights of the uh, Browns and Steelers to culminate into, you know, tomorrow's wild card matchup. It's the match. And it's like, my mind is water. My eyes are watching this, but my mind's just like, dude, I can't do this anymore. I legit cannot do this anymore. Like I hate this life. Um, I want out, you know, I, and I had started this, this grand plan of success in my head, but I was like, you know, I got on my, my Huntington app to check my account. I looked and I had like, you know, maybe 200 bucks left. And I was like, all right, so we're going to spend a hundred bucks on blow for the rest of the night. And we're going to spend a hundred bucks. Um, and we're going to drive, you know, later in the night when everything's over, you're going to drive up to Detroit, you know, Detroit airport's the closest one to the house. I'm just going to book the cheapest one way, you know, ticket. I can somewhere, you know, find a way to off myself wherever I go. You know, I had, I had ideas in my head, but I hadn't settled on how exactly I wanted to go out. Um, And that's what I was going to do. Well, operation one, or, you know, phase one of the thing, get, get a hundred bucks in Coke. That was no problem. You know, we got that, we went through it. I remember uh, we start, we went to Hooters and then I left Hooters and I went back to the house. You know, I'm sitting in the driveway of my house, just doing lines, just waiting on this text of where we're going next. And uh, all of a sudden the garage door opens and my, my dog, you know, Juice, our pitbull comes out. My brother comes out. My dad comes out. And for whatever reason, like in a place where I should be the most comfortable, and, you know, my house, like, you know, I, I should be the most comfortable here. I started my car and took off. I was just, you know, Operation Detroit's officially in order. You know, this is what we're going to do. So I get down the street. I'm, you know, my phone's blowing up with Facebook messages from them, texts, calls. You know, I'm ignoring all of them. It wasn't until my brother Jake called um, and Jake's went through, you know, I won't disclose all of his, but Jake's, you know, Jake has went through his his struggles as well, um, but he's doing real well right now. And uh, Jake was, Jake was in a sense the voice of reason for me on there because I was expecting the answer to the foot. You know, when I saw he called, I was like, you know, I was like, whoever calls next or text next, I'll respond just so they know, just so they can basically leave me alone for a minute. I thought that would have, kind of quench the flames, if you will. And when I answered, when I answered Jake, you know, he was, he was understanding. I didn't tell him exactly what I was going to do, you know, but he was just kind of trying to talk me off the ledge. Like, dude, come home, you know, we love you. We'll figure this out. Like, you know, there's something going on, yada, yada. Um, and I told him, I was like, all right, I'm on, I'm, I'm coming home. I'll be home here in a few minutes. He goes, all right, all right. I'm on my way. He goes, dad, and George, He goes, we'll talk when I get there. Well, I hung up. I had no intention of going back home. And where I live, you know, where we we had our house on Springbrook, and I took off Springbrook, you know, I got on 75, and I'm just, you know, weaving. And then there wasn't very much traffic. It was late. But, you know, the little traffic it was, I was just trying to get up to the airport. And I remember clear as day getting off at that Detroit, you know, where it splits into Detroit-Dayton. I remember getting off at Detroit. You know, I'm heading like I'm going to, uh, you know, into the Point, which obviously takes me to Detroit and uh it was like then all of a sudden things went black and when I came when I came to you know I was back at the house I was walking out of you know my car was parked in the driveway I was walking out, you know I was walking out I didn't even think about this until you know after the fact until the you know next day when I left for detox but it just kind of all hit me I was like I was like how the hell did I get home like I'm you know I'm like did I did I you know were people killed as a result of my you know drunk and high action did i drive through a median is my car fucked up like i'm just thinking of all these scenarios running through my head because i have no idea and i still to the day can tell you that i don't know how i got home but somehow i drove that car home to get me back there well i went in the house um you know, everybody was obviously still up. My aunt had came in for the weekend to stay with my grandma because, you know, she's has all, you know, so everybody's you know, try to come in, stay with us, hang out with grandma and whatever. Um, and I just went ballistic. I don't even know what I was mad about. It. <laughs> I walked in the house, man, I was mad about something, you know, obviously what happened before, but it was like, I was, I was literally seeing red. I was that mad. And I just remember my dad getting pissed. My brother just. Kind of looking at me like, what the hell is this problem? And then my dad just kind of had this look of like concern, like just like massive concern on his face. Like he went from wanting to punch me through a wall to being like, son, what what the hell is going on with you? And it's just like when his demeanor changed from that of like matching my anger with his anger, because at the time, like I'm not proud to say this, but my dad was just like, let's go outside, we can settle this like that. Like I was 100% down for that. Like I should have, that should have been my cue to be like, dude, back off. But in my fucked up state of mind, I was like, I was ready to fight my dad. And I'm still ashamed of that. But, you know, that's unfortunately the honest truth of, you know, my addict mindset at that time. Um, But when when he, when I think at that point too, when he saw that I was like that, he was like, this this isn't, this isn't my son. There's something else going on. And he just had this face of concern. I just broke down. I mean, I, I sobbed, I cried. I was like, dad, I need help. I, I need help. I, I am, I, I am out of answers. I kept trying to say I can hide this. And, you know, he had known before, like he had, uh, he had seen, you know, i had had, you know, a bag in my, you know, a little bag in my pocket. And uh, I used to use the, I used to use the Bic pens that you could kind of take the top and then the ink part itself out and it makes kind of a nice little straw for you to use well i put it back together thinking i was slick but if it's a blue pen or even you know the black pens like you can still clear as day see white residue going through there and it's like all right what's really going on um so we had talked in the past and i tried to justify like yeah you know i've messed around with friends i have done it but it's not a problem and he was just like, "Don't ever let this happen again." He goes, "He goes, you don't need to go down that road. Don't let this happen again." So, at in my head, it was, it was, let's not stop. We just have to learn how to be more conspicuous with it. Um, so then, when everything kind of happened, I came clean. I was like, "Dad, I, I never stopped. I, I, if anything, I, you know, my my use progressed. It got worse. My drinking got worse. You know, I was to the point I wasn't even doing stuff." with friends, you know, we do, we hang out and party together at the bar, you know, go out and do lines in the car. That wasn't enough for me. I was grabbing, you know, I was, I was calling my dealer after I left the bar to get stuff for the house, you know, stopping at the carryout to get beer and like doing, doing it by myself in my room, you know? Um, so it wasn't until, you know, really everything hit rock bottom that I was like, shit, we got to get this figured out. And, you know, I talked to my dad, who talked to my uncle. Uh, he knew Matt Bell, who runs. you know, my my cousin, uh, Brad, had went to school with this girl, Monica, who is now married to Matt. And Matt Bell runs, uh, you know, he ran, was in charge of Midwest and was fortunately able to get me a bed uh, the next day.
0: Man, it's heavy, man. And I, you know, looking back, like it's... Um... I didn't know that things had gotten, you know, and there, there'd be times like text threads and stuff where you and you and I would get into it and stuff. And like, I, 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 I'd seen the anger and stuff before, but I, I never knew it got to the point, um, where you, where you just wanted out of life, like where you wanted to kill yourself, you know? And it, it breaks my heart to hear that because, um, you know like one i'm obviously i'm i'm glad you're still here man and i love you and i appreciate how open you're being right now um but it also it also breaks my heart too cuz it's like uh i don't know like we all have our demons you know and um i think people are really good at hiding stuff and uh i just never in a million years i i never i never knew it got to that point you know and and i've for people who listen to this, I mean, I moved away in 2015. Um, so I really, I mean, we would keep in touch and texting and and that kind of stuff, but I, we, we weren't obviously hanging out like we were, excuse me, uh, when, when I was living at home. So I'm just glad by the grace of God or the universe or whatever you want to say it, like you said, that, that, that car ended up, that you ended up back home, man, you know, um, and, and that, it you know, and it worked out that you were able to get a bed. And I don't know, it's funny, I guess, on a positive note, like when you look back and like, what do you attribute that to? Or, or, or is it still kind of one of those things where you can't even wrap your brain around it, where you go, God, at my lowest point, man, somebody or something, whether it was my grandpa or the universe, God, whatever you want to say it, man, like, I I didn't end up getting that one-way ticket and I still can't really explain how I ended up back home. And then I, and then to have that connection, like you just mentioned, you know, and being able to get a bed at somewhere where you could get help and get treatment, like do you, to to this day, do you still, you know, over a year later, do you kind of still have it like wrapping your head around that? Like, wow. Like when I was at my lowest point, there was still a light out there in the universe that helped me get, get where I needed to be.
1: It's crazy you bring that up because one of the wildest moments, you know, happened to me in my recovery. Um, what four days was it? My third or fourth day in my detox. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there because when you're in detox, you know, depending on the level of, you know, detoxing, you need most some people sleep basically the whole time. Others are just kind of zoned out watching TV. You know, me, it was just kind of like, you know, I'm sitting there the first couple of days and I'm like, well, this is it. Like, you know, this is what you got yourself into. This is what all those nights of, I can stop when I want to, or I can, this. like, you had no pot, you know, so I'm, so not only am I having to deal with the fact that I wanted to end my life, I'm having to deal with the fact that it's just like, you know, I'm not working. I'm in a detox, you know, I'm going to have to justify this to my friends. You know, it's just every little woe is me attitude and then just kind of also an anger too that it's just like dude i had this plan that i wouldn't have had to be a problem anymore and it's like it's fucked up now now i'm somebody else's problem um so it's just like you know why why couldn't why couldn't these things work out as they need and i remember like i said it was my third or fourth day in detox <clears throat> and i'm sitting there and uh, i just woke up it was like you know it was, i know it was after two o'clock in the afternoon i had went into the kitchen area that we had you know gotten myself a bowl they had this s'mores cereal and uh in like the was it five or six days i was in detox i put on like 20 pounds and i attributed it completely to s'mores cereal because i ate that like it was going out of style let me tell you <laughs> um but so you know i had a, I had a bowl of that and um they have the, you know, in, in detox, they have their coffee and it's like, you know, you think of McDonald's coffee hot, like they keep it really hot there. And the the reason behind that is, or at least what I've gathered is, um, you know, you're already fighting off an addiction for whatever, you know, be it for me, cocaine, alcohol, you know, others, heroin, meth, uh, you know, crack, whatever, you know, they don't want you kind of replacing it, just kind of sailing through coffee. So that it's always, you know, super piping hot, it takes forever to cool down. Um, so I remember I grabbed a cup, I went back into my room and, uh, I'm sitting there on the bed. I had the, you know, we each, you know, you have two people to a room. They had just put me with this guy who was on, yeah, I think he was like meth and heroin, like just withdrawn real bad. And this guy was in the, you're in the, you know, we, they gave you single beds. He was in the bed next to me. And I never once saw this guy move. Like they would come in to give me you know, my pills that I had, you know, check and make sure everything was good. They basically just came in to check this guy's vitals, you know, make sure he didn't croak overnight. And, uh, I remember I'm sitting there, you know, he was sleeping, room light was off. I shut the door. I set my coffee on the, uh, I set my coffee on the, um, uh, what am I thinking of Jesus? I set my coffee on the dresser. Grab the remote, don't to put on like Criminal Minds or something. And I remember clear as day looking at the clock. It's 2.26 p.m. And as I'm looking at, you know, what to watch, I hear this voice. It says, Chad, man. And it sounds exactly like my grandpa. And I'm like, kind of takes me back. I'm just like, I know I didn't just hear that. So I just kind of blew it off. And I just hear it again. Chad, man, you need to let go of all that hate and it was just like you know it was, it was surreal like at that point i stopped i i put the remote down like i'm just kind of like my head's against the wall it was like not like paralyzed with fear but i'm just kind of like what is going on like there there is no way this is real so in my head you know i'm talking in my head but the voice i'm hearing sounds like it's sitting in the same room and i was just like i was like grandpa and i didn't hear anything after that so i waited what seemed like an eternity i said grandpa if that's you Give me a sign that you're here with me, and the roommate that they gave me, who, like I said, hadn't moved like I never saw him move at all. His foot twitched a couple times, and at that point, I was just like, "Oh my god, like you just you just have that feet, you just, that feeling like spine tingling, like holy shit, this is real well you know, we start talking, I can just feel myself tearing up. And I'm telling my grandpa, I'm like, you know, grandpa, I've, I've let you down. I've let the family down. You know, I, I think back to the air force before I left, you know, when he was on his deathbed, you know, I took his hand and I was just like, you know, I, you know, he's still conscious at this point, but you know, he's unfortunately on his way out. And I was like, you know, grandpa want to make you so proud of me. Like, you know, now this, the rest of my life, like I'm going to live to make you proud and you know i told him that and i was just like i was like i can count on one hand how many times i made you proud like you know now i'm here it's just like you know i was like i let the family down I let my brothers down and he stopped you know he was just like chad man you know he said it how he always did you know just real old old paul like chad man. you know he had this voice to him and uh he was like chad man he goes you're seeking treatment for something that has been a problem for you you know for a long time you know you've started with drinking. I mean, we just had this, you know, I could go through all the particulars, but we just had this conversation that was just my grandpa just bestowing words of support on me and letting me know how proud he was that I was here, you know, that I I decided to make a change in my life, but also to be like, you know, I, I need to let go of the hate. I need to let go of the anger, the you know other stuff he's like there's healthier ways to go about it he goes you're gonna have time for your rants you're gonna have time for this he goes but you need to focus on the good in life he goes because the good is what's led you to right here the good is what has given you a second chance right now like I said when I sat down it was 226 remember the time clear as day it felt like me and my grandpa had this conversation for for fucking three hours and uh I come to and I mean it's still it's still powerful to think about because where my room was set, I had you had a single window. And I remember I'm looking over at this window and uh he goes, You have a second chance, and he he holds it and I can see just kind of I can see clear as day my grandpa like he's standing right there and he always drank Heineken. He drank, you know, Heineken comes in those green bottles and he's just he raises up the the thing, he goes He goes, let's cheer to second chances. He goes, and we're going to make the most of this one. And I was just like, Grandpa, I was like, one one too many of those is what landed me in the bed in the first place. I was like, I I can't do that. And he goes, nonsense. He goes, you got that coffee right there. He goes, let's toast to this. And I grabbed the coffee. You know, I stood up, and I'm just like, I was like, this is going to be super hot. He goes, I was like, I'm just going to take a sip. He goes, no. He goes, you're going to take a nice big swig of that. He goes, because this is the new beginnings. And I was like, I kind of started to say something again. He goes, Chad, he goes, you trust me, right? And I was like, grandpa, I trust you with my life. He goes, okay. He goes, take a nice swig. He goes, cheers to new beginnings. I remember clear as day, seeing him go to take a drink. When I went to grab that coffee to take a drink, it was 2.27 PM. So through all of this, through all of this, what sounds like took hours, exactly one minute had elapsed. And as I put that coffee to my face, I can feel the steam coming off of it. And I was fully prepared, like, dude, as soon as whatever this moment is, is over, I'm gonna have to go straight to the nurse because I'm gonna burn my esophagus, my tongue, like my mouth is gonna be a mess, but I'm not I'm not going to shortchange my grandpa on this. I'm gonna take the biggest swig of coffee I can. And they come in, you know, just of like a cup from McDonald's, you know, like a like medium or small or whatever, you know, 12 or 16 ounce coffee. And I took a swig of that that was, probably the equivalent of half the cup, you know, three quarters, you know, so three quarters to a half between there is what was left when I got done with this. So it was a sizable swig and it was fucking room temperature. It was fucking room temperature coffee, dude. Wow. And when that had happened and it was just like, it snapped me back to reality and I set that coffee back on the dresser and I put my finger in it. It was fucking hot again. But in that moment, in that moment that I had with my grandpa, that was like I was just drinking a room temperature beverage. And from that moment on, you know, through, through the tough times of recovery, through the, you know, different stuff I've been through you know, I always replay that in my head. You know, I've had my moments where I go on rants or I have my moments where, you know, if it's religion or, you know, we haven't touched on it, but, you know, just kind of in passing, I'm not exactly, uh, I'm not exactly too keen on referees sometimes. Um, (laughs) But through, (laughs) through all of that, you know, I've always kept that in the back of my head to, you know, let go of that hate and to, to see the good in life, to, to know, you know, there's more than a few times this, this NFL season that I, I took a step back to, to you know, focus because NFL season coincided with when I was in school. And I was like, I'm not going to sacrifice, you know, being mad about how a game ended for me getting a bad grade in it or for me, you know, having an off week in school. Or, you know, once I moved into my sober living housing and I became, you know, one of the head of houses, like, I'm not going to let me being pissed off and being closed off to others, you know, close the door for me being able to help somebody else out who's who's legit having a shit day and needs somebody to listen or needs somebody to just, you know, sit back and have a cup of coffee with them and be able to vent about You know, what's going on in their family life or work or, you know, girlfriend, family, you know, while they're in, you know, because there's people that are in these things that are that have to put their lives on hold, you know, their wife and kids are, you know, there was a lot of people, it's not just in Toledo, you know, we had people in there from Maryland, had a guy from Indiana, um, had, you know, people that would come from like, there was one from California Uh, so people had come from all over to midwest because it got great reviews you know it got you know people had you know like me that had went through the program and went out and been like you know this place saved my life this place was awesome for me so people came out to midwest in hopes in hopes of you know being able to turn their life around as well and my thinking is you know years before when i'd have a bad sunday or the browns would break my heart one of you know, 17 times a year that they do um, or, you know, any of my other teams was bad where I would just mask it, you know, with drinking or mask it with drugging. Like I was like, dude, I don't need this anymore. Like my therapy on this is being able to help others, you know, which is why, you know, I decided to go into the career that I am addiction counseling to be able to, you know, to be able to give back to those people, to be able to show that there, there truly is a light if you want to work for it you know, you're going to see, you're going to see it at some point, you know, which way you want your life to go. Do you want it to keep going down this path where you, you know, hate, you know, where you're lying to your family, you're lying to your friends, you just, you just have to put on essentially a different persona, you know, like going back to when you were at the house with, with us and we, you know, we were doing drugs. Like there was two different chats. There was one that could kind of go out and hang out with this, you know, his friends and see a show and drink some beers and have fun. But then once a later time hit, another Chad was like, dude, we got to get some cocaine in us before the night's over, or this night's going to be a massive failure. It's just like, you kind of replay those in your head. And it's just like, are you tired of living like this? And for me, I was, you know, for me, if I would have had my, my way, I would have ended my life. Like that was at that time was my plan of success. But be it my grandpa, be it, you know, my family, be it, you know, my, my loved ones that, you know, and friends, people like you, Dave, you know, countless others, my buddy Tyler that have been there to support me. Like, while I might not be religious, you know, that, that to me, like, it's just kind of a combined higher power that keeps me going. Like maybe it was the collective thoughts. And views and everything of all those people, and like maybe some of the you know mixed in with kind of I guess some of the good that I've done in my life because you know I was an addict, but I, I don't think I was a half bad dude. So maybe I just kind of had some some good credit and good kind of karma built up that I was able to kind of cash in for a second chance at life. It, it could have been any number of things, but you know from that day forward and from going into detox and once I kind of got past that woe was me type thing. I made the conscious decision, and I was like, dude, I, you know, I was 32 at the time when I went in, celebrated my 33rd birthday, um, you know, in group. They brought in, like, I don't remember, they brought in cupcakes, right, saying happy birthday, but it was just kind of, like, you know, it, it, was, it was cool, but it was one of those, it was like, I'm thinking of all these landmarks, you know, when I first got in, and I'm going to have to celebrate, like, oh, you you know, you've wanted to see a Browns game, a Browns playoff game for over 20 years. And now you're going to have to watch it, you know, basically your first night in rehab. You're going to have to celebrate your birthday in rehab. You're going to have, you know, Indians games. You had all these grand plans to go to maybe some Indians games this summer. You know, now you're not going to be able to do because you are in rehab. Um, so it was all those like negative thoughts that were replaced by like, this is a new chance to to be my own part, to, to start my life again basically i'm going i'm 33 but it's like it it essentially feels like my life's beginning back over and i don't have to look at these years as failure rather it's like it's you know weird roundabout way like job experience for something i truly want to do um so it's i mean in short it's been it's been a blessing i mean it's been a ride that i wouldn't trade for the world um i i you know wake up every day i don't have to justify a a stuffed nose to, to sinuses that I, I never had sinuses, (laughs) you know, I just had to say, Oh yeah, my sinuses are acting up and it's fucking December. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, not having a headache, you know, not wanting to sleep in until three o'clock in the afternoon, getting pissed off by birds or something like that. Like, it's <laughs> nice, you know, it's nice waking up just wanting to just want, just wanting to greet a new day. Like I'm not saying it's all fucking sunshine and rainbows here. You know, you're going to have your days, but it's like the, the good days far outnumber the bad days, you know, and the bad days, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I always make my bed in the morning, you know, try to keep my, my space tidy you know, just make sure I'm, you know, a haircut, you know, my beard's trim, you know, my appearance is good. My living space is good. And I've always kind of adopted the mantra that it's just like, even if you have your worst day, like you can still look yourself in the mirror at night when you're brushing your teeth and you get to go into a nice bed. And it's one of those, like, you know what, today might not have been the best, but tomorrow's tomorrow's going to be better. It might, tomorrow might not be the best day either, but we're going to make tomorrow better than today and build from there. It's just little, little shit like that, that I, you know, I remember hearing in group when I first started and I'm like, what the fuck is this hokey bullshit? Like it's somebody with four or five years sober and I've been sober for like 43 minutes. And it's like, dude, that's easy for you to sit there and say like, you know, you just kind of have this, you know, screw the world mentality. Um, but then once you kind of start listening, you know, some people didn't really buy in, you know, I was one of those that, was just like, dude, I have nothing else left. Like, I have no answers. I've tried to do it my way for years and it hasn't got me anywhere. So I made the conscious decision. I was like, well, I'm going to put everything I have into here. I'm not going to be ashamed to have people see me cry. I'm not going to be ashamed to have people see me upset. I'm not going to be ashamed of any thoughts that I have or anything I share with the group um, because it's to the betterment of my treatment. And it's, dude, it, it's, it's helped me so so much like I'm I'm thankful to everybody in Midwest team recovery the housing that I lived at before you know everybody I've come at you know come through between then um it's it's just been it's been awesome man you know I, all that I never would have thought in my wildest dreams all the years of the shit that I put myself my family my friends through would have led me to this to this opportunity but you know like I said I, I wouldn't trade it for anything
0: Man, I, uh, I appreciate you sharing all that with me, buddy. and, And for everybody listening to this, because, uh, it's really powerful, you know, and it's like, I just, you know, I think that there's things that happen in our lives, um, you know, that, that are beyond our explanation. There's they're beyond the rational mind. And I think that's kind of how I've always looked at faith too. you know, to tie in a hockey reference, we're both hockey fans. Um, and the year after the, the Red Wings uh, won, the, the year they went back to back in ninety eight seven, ninety-eight. for people who don't know about the story, I'll give you the quick rundown. Literally, like, I don't know if it was the next day, but it wasn't long after they won the Stanley Cup. There was a group of guys. They, they were involved in a really bad car wreck, a limo accident. And one of the Red Wings' um, best defensemen, Vladimir Konstantinov, uh, was very badly injured. It ended his career, was in a wheelchair. It was horrible. Um, but the next year, I think there was a trainer that got, that got injured too. But the next year the Red Wings dedicated that season to those guys and um, they had a patch on their Jersey and I think they had the initials of both of them. It was like VKSN. I, I think it was Sergey Matsakonov. I'm trying to remember his name, the the other guy who was hurt, but but anyway, um, their motto was basically like, "Faith is to believe in what you cannot see. The reward for faith is to see what you believe." And um, the fact that you had that moment with your grandpa, man, it's like it—it's uh, just listening to that. It was just like it—it's so real, and it, and it was real. You know what I mean? And and yeah. The fact that, um, again, there—I just feel like I—I I know some people in my life be black and white, and um, we've all come across those people. And you know, I—this um, is this 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 podcast is about you and your journey, and helping people out there who listen to this if they're struggling, you know, or if they're trying to stay sober. Um, but I—I I had a moment kind of like that, another worldly moment like that when I had my surgery and, and, and I had like this peace wash over me and I, I still can't really explain it. I can tell it to people, but I can't, they, they can't, they can't feel what I feel. Cause it was just that moment, you know, or right. dreams I had about my grandpa when I was um, trying to get to a better place in my life. And I had a lot of anger when he died and it really shook my faith um, to see him suffer you know, um, I knew as soon as I walked into his hospital room that he was, he was going to die. And, uh, it was like one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And I walked out, um, it was a week before he died. And my cousin, Chan, who, who, um, I have a good relationship with, I mean, with all my cousins, but, you know, she came out and got me and hugged me. And I was, I was crying out right. In, you know, by the nurse's station, cause I knew he was going to die. And for the longest time, man, I couldn't, Whenever my grandpa would come to me in my dreams, it was always like, it was always the way he was when he was starting to lose it with dementia and stuff. And it wasn't until I kind of, you know, got to a point in Toledo where I felt like um, I would reached my ceiling there and to really do what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I was going to have to go, but the hardest thing was leaving behind you guys, leaving behind my family, you know, um, I'm a very loyal person to the people that I love. And my family means a lot to me and my friends mean a lot to me. And that was really the hardest thing. I, I knew Toledo wasn't it for me. And again, that's not the crap on our hometown, but I just knew it wasn't where I was supposed to be anymore, but it was hard to, to leave. And I remember having a dream about yeah. my grandpa and it was the first dream that I had had about him uh, where he was like the way he was that I remember him growing up. And my dream was different. He didn't speak. But I remember I was at an airport and, um, it was like a rural airport and all my cousins and my family were, were there. Everybody was in like a really good mood and my grandpa was wearing teal slacks and he was wearing a polo and he had a ball cap on. And that's like what he wore a lot growing up. He would always wear like slacks or like a polo and like a Sherwin Williams hat and, um, And I remember this plane, it was like, for me, you know, it was like, nobody else was coming with me. It was like, it was like for me. And, um, I just had like this peace. And, and when I, I didn't really like in the dream, you're kind of like, wow. And I was like, so happy to see him, you know, and, and be able to see him the way that I remembered him growing up. Cause, cause like I said, I, you know, when you said that your grandpa said that to you about your anger, I I had to let go of my, my anger and resentment for his death. And it was really hard for me to leave home. And I felt like that dream, it really helped me with transitioning to Nashville. I mean, and again, that might sound crazy to some people, but I just, I remember waking up and kind of processing it because, you know, sometimes you don't remember, but it was like really vivid, kind of like your, your encounter with your grandpa. It was super vivid, right? And it was a supernatural experience. You know, like you said, to take a swig of coffee thinking, you know, shoot, my esophagus is going to be shot, grandpa, if I drink this. And it was room temp. And like, so my, my, you know, dream about my grandpa wasn't as palpable as that, but it was the first dream that I had had. And, and mind you, he died in 2011. So this is 2015. I was 27. He died when I was 23. That was the first time in four years. I I had a dream about my grandpa where he was the way that I remembered him. And, um, that dream signified to me of like, like Mike, it's okay for you to go i'm going to be with you this this is the right move you need to make and um yeah man so i I'm, I'm just saying that story to relate to you and to the listeners man like uh there's going to be things in your yeah. life that happen beyond your explanation like to this day right you still can't explain how you got home that day that you went no. you know you know what i mean and and so i just it 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 reinforces my I guess to tie everything back together, it kind of reinforces my faith in one in the humanity of the people that, that mean a lot to us. In our case, it was our grandpa's, your dad has always been a salt of the earth human for me. Um, I, I think Mark is one of the, one of the most spiritually strong people that I know. Um, your your dad is like uh i don't know i know he's been like a rock for you and your brothers man but with with the stuff that dude's been through and um like he's always been kind to me i just i really appreciate who he is as a human being and i know he means a lot to you too man but like to to i i think in in a roundabout way i guess what i'm trying to say is it's like having those experiences and having that experience that you have with your grandpa those unexplainable things man it just I guess it gives me faith, one, and like I said, humanity, but also that I I really believe there's something beyond this. There's 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 a there's a realm beyond the one that we can see, and you know, for people listening to this, at, if they're at a low point, I think they just got to know that there's there's something good around the corner. Whenever you hit rock bottom, I know there's that old cliche of like you have nowhere to go but up, but there are people in your life that love you, whether they're here or they're not here anymore, in terms of this planet and um i know there's people who don't believe and I, I there's people close to me who don't believe and again i don't i don't know and the truth is none of us know right because we're not dead we're still here nobody knows what's on the other side but those those supernatural experiences man um i think they've played a role for both of us where we are and i'm just uh i'm happy that your plan didn't work man you know i'm happy that um i'm happy that your plan didn't work
1: yeah, it's uh it's crazy too cuz that was my you know looking back that was my grand plan of success and you know for the longest time it was something that I was like you know even even considering my my use my my alcoholism you know the the lies that I told like anything that came along with my addiction, like that was one thing, if you could be like one thing that you want to just bury and forget ever happened, you know, scrub from your memory, like that would be it. Cause I was just like, dude, I, you know, I wanted to kill myself. Like, I'm not proud of that. That's it's a sad truth, but you know, that that's what I wanted to do. That's how I saw my way out. But now it's, it's kind of crazy how it's kind of came full circle that, you know, that's what I wanted but I still can't explain how you know it wasn't able to come to fruition because every part of me wanted that to happen but somehow I was able to get home you know go through the pain of having to tell my family you know come clean about everything you know see the look on my brother's faces and you know I you know I I wasn't the best brother I wasn't the best son you know I quite honestly I was pretty shitty a lot of times because it was like I'm just making up lies to cover lies you know, about my use, so I don't have a problem drinking, I don't do this, when, you know, in reality, I'm drinking until I pass out and resuming the process, you know, and having all of that happen, to getting into rehab, to, you know, getting into detox, to, you know, then my residential stay, and then once I moved into halfway housing, you know, you get to a certain point, you're allowed to go home on weekends, and it was like, just getting, you know, first getting to go back home, you know, seeing, like, you know, my brothers were just kind of, you know, everybody was supportive, don't get me wrong, but it was just kind of one of those things where it's just like, you know, there's still, there's still, you know, very sensitive feelings there for shit that I've caused. Because I I was, I was, you know, a very, very hard to get along with and very opinionated and, you know, you know, drunk and, you know, you name anything negative, you know, that, you know, I wasn't probably the easiest person to be around. And, you know, gradually over time, I started building that trust back. I started getting a plan together of what I wanted to do. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to start trying to, you know, think about moving. I'm going to this, you know, as the months went by, you know, I'm starting to, you know, get to hang out with my brothers. I'm getting to go out with my dad. I'm, I'm getting that, you know, love, love that wasn't there. That wasn't not, like I said, wasn't like it was absent but it was just one of those, like, there was still a level of trust that I needed to be built back. Like, is he taking this recovery seriously? Does he want to be a better person? Or is he going to, you know, get to a certain point and be like, oh, I'm going to go back to this life. And like, that's kind of came into present day, where it's just one of those, like, I like the person I've become. You know, I love the person I've become. I love the, the constant support I have with my family. I love being able to have conversations with my dad you know, and not being too drunk or too coked out of my mind to, to be able to make sense, you know, having a little, my little brothers, you know, they're not obviously little, but you know, they're younger brothers that should be looking up, up to me. That are just like, you know, dude, when is, when is Chad, you know, our oldest brother, our, our role model, you know, somebody that we looked up to as kids, but has, you know, honestly fell off a little bit here. Like when is, when is he going to come back around and, and, you know, be somebody that we can look up to, that we can be proud of. And like every day, like I always keep that in the back of my mind. Whereas before it was something I was embarrassed about. It's not really something I'm obviously proud of now, but it's one of those things that I always just like, just remember where you were, you know, just remember those feelings that you had. Just remember how hard you worked to get away from them. It just makes me want to be that much better tomorrow. It makes me want to be that much better the following day you know, because I never want to get complacent. I never want to, you know, I never want to get back to that. You know, I, I want to always be somebody that they can be proud of. You know, I, you got to be selfish in your recovery and put, put yourself first, because if you're just kind of, you know, worried about what everybody else is thinking of you, you're neglecting your own concerns. So with me, you know, making sure myself's buttoned up, making sure I'm working. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. I'm keeping my appearance up. I'm keeping myself, you know, not like I'm slacking in any areas of life, but just to make sure, you know, I'm taking care of Chad and then I can worry about, you know, being able to show everybody else like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not that one that you got to worry about babysitting anymore. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right now. Like, I, I want to show you guys how much I appreciate you being there, but I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to grow and just being able to build that trust and that love and, and, you know, being able to do these things, man, is, is, is awesome. It's therapeutic. It's you name it, you name any kind of euphoric, good feeling is what it is. It's stuff like that drives me every day to be able to have built those relationships back and continue building new ones. It's awesome.
0: Well, again, man, I appreciate you sharing everything. And I, I just looked at the clock and it didn't feel like two hours, but we've been talking like two hours and I don't want to take any much more of your time other than to um, to say that I love you and I appreciate you being being honest and vulnerable with your story. The last couple of things uh, before I get you out of here, man, is um, for people who don't know, um, tell them about your degree and just the, the purpose that you found now and, and what you want to do having having been sober.
1: Uh, Well, through recovery, uh, my name is Chad Zerniak, went to Central, 06, graduated with Bauman, um, graduated with our buddy Dave, you know, we have a, you know, real tight clique of all of us together, Um, but through my struggles with addiction, you know, I found addiction counseling uh, when I was going through treatment. Um, I enrolled in a course at Stotzenberger, Uh, you know, it was online, and, you know, I was one of those students that was just, I, I did just enough to get by through, you know, high school, through the little bit of college that I did. You know, it was just like, if I have a passing grade, you know, that's all I'm content with. Once I got into addiction counseling, you know, still being in, you know, going into groups and still, you know, being active in the sober community, it just really took a new, took on a new life you know not not just scholastically but it was like I was able to I was able to uh, label it to things going on in my life as well and it was just it it was school but it still felt like I was you know it was obviously life skills but it just felt like a part of me like I I enjoyed school for the first time in my life is basically what I'm trying to say Um, and you know I graduated with honors you know every every block I was in there, I got honors. Um, I finished with, you know, just shy of a, just shy of a 4.0. It was a 3.9, 3.94. I think it was, um, you know, which is the highest I've ever done in, in school, you know, and that's, that's not to like toot my own horn, but at the same time, like that's the best I've ever done in school. And it's just a testament to, If you truly love something and you truly feel a passion for it, like it's amazing what your mind can do and what you can what you can do to achieve what you want to do. And my thing was, you know, from the time the course started, I was like, we're going to make a promise right now. We're not going to do any more of this half ass stuff. We're not going to just be happy to pass. We're going to go all in. We are going to go all, you know, every every week. You know, I'm not taking a week off. I'm not like, oh, I'm doing well on this. So I can bomb this week because I'll still be passing. No, we're striving for a hundreds every single week. And to that point, when I got my final GPA and I saw 3.9, like I had to, I had to take a second, uh, like not like I was pissed or like punching anything or whatever, but I'm just like, dude, I was so close to a (laughs) 4.0. Like I wanted that 4.0 so bad. But, you know, I had to sit there and think and be like, you know, it was like, it's like anything in recovery and anything like what my dad would always say. It was like, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can say with your whole heart that you gave everything you had to something and, you know, you didn't leave any stone unturned and you absolutely just, you know, nose to the grindstone, just I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to do this with everything I have and you can be proud of yourself, then you got nothing to be ashamed of. And I did that, you know. I I literally had to, you know. I looked at myself in the bathroom mirror as I, you know, I was thinking about it and just kind of doing the, you no know, motherfucker, how did I don't not get a 4.0? And you just kind of had that pep talk in your head. And I looked at myself and I was just like, dude, you have got to be proud of that. Like you have this degree. A 3.9 is nothing to sniff at. Do I did I want that 4.0? Absolutely but I'm not ashamed of anything. You know, I keep my, I have my notepad with all my stuff or with all, you know, cause I handwrite everything before I type it out. So everything that I've done in my whole, you know, it's a nine month class. Everything I have is in notebooks, you know, that I've filled out, scratched out, you know, there's, there's, there, you know, various notebooks that have different stuff. And, you know, I've taken time to read those and it's just like, you know, I, I am not ashamed of anything I've done and, you know, going forward in this program, I'm like, you know, I'm going to give, I'm going to give just as much. I'm going to give even more to people that I'm fortunate enough to be able to help in sobriety because, you know, the skills that I learned when I went through detox, when I went through residential, when I went through PHP, IOP, like that transcended into me having the faith that, you know, I got through the, you know, one of the toughest parts of my life you know, as, as far as, you know, where I wanted to die, I had no, you know, my will to live was essentially gone. And now here I am like, dude, I want to make a difference now because something greater than me thought I deserved a second chance. So I'm going to do I'm, everything that is put in front of me the rest of my life. I'm going to make sure I take advantage of that chance. And, you know, it guided me to addiction counseling. It has enabled me a chance to be able to tell, you know, to be able to talk to you on a podcast to be able to, you know, like I said, I was the head of housing, you know, so there were six other guys in the house that I was responsible for. Um, there was, you know, people that I've encountered, you know, in various things that I've done, you know, we did, a, we've done clothing drives. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, just different group activities, you know, the people that I was in halfway house with, that I still, you know, maintain contact with, you know, at least a few of them I do, but it has just enabled me to want to, you know, be there for them. You know, and, you know, now more important, you know, not to neglect importance from them, but for people going forward, because I'm blessed to have 13 months, you know, there's maybe somebody out there who, you know, who hasn't had a drink or who hasn't done coke in 13 minutes. And they're like, you know, oh, fuck, you know, you got the shakes, you're like, when's my next fix gonna come? Like, I hate living like this, but this is the only way of life I know. I now have that chance, you know, once I, once I'm able to get down to, you know, the job, you know, I have an interview tomorrow. No, I'm not confident I'm going to get it. Um, (laughs) But it's one of those things where if it doesn't happen, you know, things happen for a reason. I know I have a future in this. I just have to find my niche, um, wherever that may be. But just knowing I have that chance and knowing that I'm not going to be working at a credit union, job that I hate, or, you know, another job that I hate that I'm just there for a paycheck. Like knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm even fortunate enough to be getting paid for something that I love to do. is just a, it's a beyond empowering, you know, feeling. And it's just something that I embrace every day to, to be like, dude, you've been given a gift. Like, and it's a gift that I want to give to others to be like, there's a way out of this you know, and it it wouldn't, wouldn't have started if I wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have ended up in detox, if I wouldn't have finally broke down and had the, you know, meltdown of my life to, you know, finally be like, I need help. Um, And that's, again, a testament to the, the family and loved ones I have, you know, my dad, Mark, my brothers, Jake and Jordan, you know, that stood by my side, you know, countless friends, you know, my grandma that was there, you know, I, I don't mean to sound this as disrespectful or condescending, but she with Alzheimer's unfortunately doesn't remember a lot of it. Um, but she was there, you know, while I was going through this, um, you know, she saw me drunk. She saw me hot. She probably couldn't, you know, she probably didn't know to the extent of what I was using, obviously, you know, she was around that. And then when I came back, she was still there, you know, and, you know, I, I, Teared up when I came back because I hadn't been at the house in about two months. She still remembered. She goes, oh, you must have been working a lot of overtime. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I
0: was working <laughs> something.
1: <laughs> um, but, you know, just little shit like that to even be in that position to just fight another day and then be that that much closer to being able to, you know, be in a position where I can make even more of a difference. And then once I get in that position, it's, it's a feeling of like, what else can I do? Because if I had it my way, if I had a Chad's way, I would have been dead, you know, by the, by my higher power, I'm fighting another day. And it's like, I'm enjoying life more than, more than I have, you know, since I was a kid. And it's just that feeling that I'm like, dude, I want others to have this. I know there's others that have had it worse than I am, you know, or that are going through similar struggles you know that I was and it's like I don't want them to hurt. I want to be the one I want to be a contributing factor that they can look back at and be like, you know, Chad helped turn my life around, you know that that is that means more to me than any paycheck would, you know, you know, I, you know, you and I have talked, you know, you need a, a good living wage to be able to, you know pay for your family, you know, pay for various expenses, house, car, rent, that kind of thing. Like, I'm not naive enough to say like, Oh, I do it for free. Um, because you do need something to live off of, but you know, so many people you see are in jobs that it's like, that's literally all they're there for is just to make ends meet. And, you know, in my case, I'm blessed, dude. Like I'm going to be going into whatever, everything pans out I'm gonna be in a job that I love that it's something that I'm making a difference that it's like I searched 33 years you know going on you know March 21st will be 34 years searched my whole life to find out what my purpose was here in life never knew I was like I was you know younger years I'm gonna get into sports and then it was like then I get a good good job or something I perceived as good. And I'm like, oh, I'll move up the ranks here. You know, maybe this is my calling. But it was just a bunch of like throwing shit at a wall and hoping something stuck. And it was like nothing really ever stuck except for drugs and alcohol. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is my calling in life. Um but then to to basically go down to bare bones, you know, expose everything you are and you know then kind of be like, all we can do is go up from here. And then you get to a point you're like, now we have to find our purpose. Like I, I got clean, my plan of everything didn't work out. Something had a plan for me. What is that plan? And to be able to find this, to be able to find addiction counseling, and be able to give back the gift that I've been given, dude, it's it's amazing.
0: Well, dude, I I really appreciate it, and and uh, I'm glad you're still here, man. And I love you, and um. I do think this is going to help a lot of people. And just to close it on that note, I know everybody's story is different and um, everybody's path is different, but with everything that you've gone through, man, if, if there's anybody out there who is struggling, whether they're struggling to stay sober or they're, they're at their wits end, like you were, I mean, what, what advice as somebody who's been through it all, man, like what advice would you, would you give somebody out there if they're, if they're having a tough time right now?
1: My best advice, um, just don't be afraid to talk to somebody. Don't ever think that your problems are small or they're, you know, meaningless as far as everybody else goes. Um, You know, that's something I wish I, I would have believed in, you know, because I was looking at, you know, we lost my grandpa. My grandma has her stuff, different family has, you know, their issues going on. You know, my view was always like, where, where do my problems fall into this? You know, where does, where, where does everything that I, you know, all the hurt that I have accumulated throughout the years, the anger, the, the pain, you know, where does that fall in line here? And I had always justified that by it doesn't like it's, it's small potatoes compared to what everything else is going on. And, you know, alcohol and Coke just kind of became my coping mechanism because when I was high, when I was drunk, like, this euphoric feeling where everything went away, like that was always present. Like it was, you know, I was drunk or, you know, at the bar, or, you know, jacking around doing whatever. And I was like, I wasn't worried about it, but then you sober up. And then all those problems come back, sometimes even more magnified because of other areas in your life you neglected. Now you got, you know, bills that are behind or you got this going on, or you've, you said something when you were drunk to piss somebody off. now a good friend of yours doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Because you are, you know, you are an ass. So it's just kind of compounded issues after that. But I never wanted to talk again because, like I said, I didn't see where my problems fit on the spectrum of what was important compared to what was not important. So, you know, going back to your original question is just to talk to somebody. Um, You know, know that you know you have friends, family, loved ones. You know who will support you. you know, seek out any form of treatment, you know, just don't be embarrassed of what you're going through because you're not the first person. You know, I went into treatment thinking like, you know, I was thinking, you know, rehab was for people that were on like heroin or meth or, you know, like really, really hard drugs. Like to me, Coke was just kind of, you know, it's been glamorized by the media as, as, you know, a, you know, party drug, you know, you, you see any movie anymore and they're always doing coke but they seem to not have a problem with it like here i am going into real like i'm fucking cocaine and alcohol like uh, there's gonna be nobody else There, there is no shortage of people who are there just like me that were like heavy into coke like we're comparing war stories as we you know went through stuff of stuff we've done and you know where we you know nights that we went out and just you know, just at the time was awesome, but now we're looking back and it's just like, geez, how the hell did we, how are we still here, basically? Um, and it just really puts things in perspective that you're not alone in your struggles. But the common fact with all of us is none of us knew how to talk to anybody about it. None of us knew how to, to get in and just kind of really find what our trauma was if it was my situation, my grandpa and my mom, you know, my grandpa passed away and my mom leaving, you know, my grandma going through her stuff, you know, different stuff from childhood. Like if you keep that stuff inside and you don't find a healthy outlet to talk about it, to, you know, if working out or, you know, getting involved in something, if you don't have that you start masking it with, you know, your, your substance of choice, be it drugs, alcohol, you know, it, it's gonna it's gonna run rampant. It's eventually gonna take over your life. So my thing is to just talk to somebody. You know, I I always you know I've had people that I haven't talked to on on Facebook, you know, Instagram that have sent me messages. Like I kind of keep my, you know, I've I posted when I first went into treatment. Um, I think I posted a little something on Facebook. It was like I shared a a, uh, a sober, like some sober Facebook post that I followed that was like a, you know, a, a day, you know, a bad day sober is better than a good day drunk or something. It was something, you know, whatever, just very minor, but I just shared it. I didn't put any context. There were no pictures. Um, but my thing was like what I wanted to work towards was, you know, I'm going to kind of post stuff here and there just, you know, just kind of motivate me for recovery, but what I'm looking forward to is being able to post, being able to post my one year sober um, picture on there on January 10th. I was like, I'm going to track down my intake picture from detox. Which, oh my God, when I saw that, I was like, I cannot believe that's me. I knew it was me, but I couldn't believe that I that I looked like that. And that past is good for me. Um, but that was going to be my big landmark was being able to post that and just kind of, you know, this is a big landmark in my journey. It doesn't stop anything, but I'm looking forward to being able to do this. And Once I what, once I did, there's no shortage of people that were reaching out to me that had a loved one, you know, that was going through stuff or that were just kind of looking for guidance themselves or that were, you know, what, what kept you motivated, you know, in your tough times or whatever, you know, it was, you know, just not that same day, but just as gradually as people saw the post or, you know, maybe word of mouth was passed around, um, you know, we're like, what, what kept you going? And for me, it was like, I told you, it was like being able to talk to people, being able to be open, not being embarrassed, not having, you know, these thoughts of like, God, people are going to think less of me. Like, you know, it's almost, it's almost in a sense, you have to make peace with that because at the same time, if you don't get to the root of your issues, if you don't get to the root of what's really going on in your life and getting this idea out of your head that it's unimportant, like it's, it's, it's impossible to, to move forward. It's impossible to have those moments, you know, to be able to look back on and be like, you know, I, I'm happy that I sought treatment when I did. Um, you know, I want to write here, you know, while I was going through treatment, you know, and even after, um, unfortunately three of the diff- three people that I have went through with, so unfortunately lost their lives due to going back, you know, due to going back out, you know, they're, they they could not outrun their demons, you know, as hard as they tried, uh, once they got back out and unfortunately got too much for them. Um, and that just, that just shows you the, that just shows you the level of urgency, you know, we need to have as far as how we need to attack addiction you know, how we need to, you know, provide avenues for recovery. Um, and that's why I've been like, you know, whatever I need to do, I want to be somebody's voice. I want to be their guidance, you know, that with, you know, put my, you, I don't know. This is my first time ever doing a podcast if I didn't tell you, but I, uh, I want you to put, you know, my name out there to, for anybody, even if you don't know me, just reach out. Like, as I want to, You know, it's a gift that I've been given to even be in this position. And I just want to help and give back to people and show them that, you know, there is a life outside of drugs and alcohol. And, you know, on the surface, you might think that it's boring. But, man, it's like, it's, you know, I'm talking with buddies and it's crazy we came up with this. I don't remember who it was. But if you've never seen the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper where he takes that pill and it's like it unlocks all your, like, you're just able to, you know, it's just, you're able to write, you're able to just do, you know, it, it's almost like a sense of that getting sober, because for so long, you're just neglecting so much of your life focused on drugs and alcohol, and you take that away, and you're able to show how beautiful and smart and talented and, you know, unique as an individual you are, man, it opens up a whole new, like, paradox of, like, what I can do in this life, and it, it just makes every day exciting, you know, new experiences that before, like, you know, going to hockey games, I, I, I went to a Cherokee game last February. Um, it was like my second weekend out of treatment and I hadn't been to a hockey game probably since the old storm days. Where I wasn't drinking, you know, those games, I didn't remember a lot of the games cause I was that tanked, but going to a hockey game, like that was one of my first landmark events of being sober was I'm going to do this without, without drugs, without alcohol, you know, I'm doing it sober. I had a I had a fucking Pepsi and a piece of pizza at the game and dude, I enjoy, it was just a Cherokee game, but I just remember I enjoyed that game. Like it was, it was like I saw hockey for the first time and was just hanging on every play instead of like, I got to wait for a whistle cause I got to take a piss and I want to get another beer. Like It was just enjoyable from puck drop until that final horn um and it's just it's just made it a beautiful way of life but it doesn't start until you seek that treatment until you seek that help and guidance and know that you know you're not alone in your struggles and you you know, you're, you're just you're going to uncover a new beautiful way of life once you finally seek that help
0: well dude thanks again so much for for sharing all that I know this episode is going to help people. And, uh, like I said, man, I love you, buddy. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad your plan didn't work. And, uh, through the powers that be whoever and wherever they may be, including your grandpa, man, um, and your family, um, and your dad and your brothers, like, uh, and I'm just, I'm really proud of you, man. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm just really excited for you because I know your heart. I've always known it. And I've told you that before, you know, like I I know you have a big heart and underneath your exterior, I know you got a lot of love to give and I'm just, I'm really excited for this path that you're on because I know you're going to help people. And I, and uh, I just know that your way of being in terms of your sense of humor and, you know, just even hearing the passion in your voice about wanting to help other people, you're going to be great at it, man. So I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to, to do the podcast, dude.
1: Oh, Mike, the pl- the pleasure is honestly all mine. Like when you asked me to do this, I was I was ecstatic, you know, because it's, you know, I I want any opportunity I have to just kind of put the word out there, you know, share my story, you know, I'm blessed that you have given me the the uh, platform to do so, um, but to just be able to talk about it, you know, it's it's therapeutic in the sense to you know be able to, you know, it's not like it's reliving. Like past trauma, you know, because it's stuff I've talked about. It's, you know, but it helps you keep. It helps you keep things in perspective. It helps you keep. It helps you know that, you know, what you're doing. Like there's a reason for where you're doing, and and your past is is gonna lead to a, you know, is gonna lead to a beautiful future. You just gotta find the silver lining in things of, you know, instead of you know me being like I want the last 15 years of my life back that I threw away like now it's an attitude of like you know I can use these 15 years you know 20 years whatever it was that I've been using that I was just completely dependent on that to help others who are still struggling and uh you know that's that's a gift in itself that's something that you know I'll always never be ashamed to talk about I'll never be ashamed to tell my story you know I'm always wanting to hear others' stories you know stories of success but the stories of what people want, because what you want, you know, because all of what I'm doing right now that I still have to accomplish, like all of that started as a, I'm going to, like, it started as a dream. Like I'm, I'm going to do this. And once you see just little things start coming to fruition, once you just see that joy of wanting to wake up that, you know, your face is smiling, looking back at you in the mirror, instead of like a dread of starting another day. That might seem minor, but it's just small successes that build into, like, that build into big successes, that build into milestones, that build into things to, you know, build off of, you know, build a foundation, it builds, it builds just a hope in tomorrow instead of dreading a tomorrow. You know, there's so many things, but, you know, it's just a blessing to to be in this situation. But, you know, I have to, I have to give credit to everybody that has been there with me. Cause you know, I had a support system of, like I said, you, Dave, you know, countless other friends, you know, my, my family, my dad, Jake, Jordan, you know, juice, you know, he, I don't care what anybody says, dogs or family. And in that, that dude, he knew at times when I was hurting and, you know, he provided me more guidance and comfort than I can think of, you know, Roxanne and Ladybird when they are around. Um, but it's just, it's that, it's that community effort that just makes Makes you be like, dude, I I have to fight for tomorrow. We're gonna make tomorrow better, and it was just once you have that attitude, and it's just instead of I think I can, I know I can. Once you have that I know I can attitude, dude, beautiful things happen. But bottom line is, I'm more than appreciative of this time. I'm flattered, you know, that you. I can't think of a better word there. Flattered is the best one. Um, you would ask me to do this, but it ha- it hasn't felt like two hours. I'll I'll tell you that much. Um, this time's flown by, but excuse me. Bottom line is, I'm more than happy to do it.
0: Yeah, buddy. I, I I'm I'm glad you said yes, and I and again, I appreciate your vulnerability, and I and I love you, man. And um and again, like I said, man, I'm really proud of you, and uh, I know I know your your journey's just beginning, so for everybody out there listening. I hope, I, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And um, yeah, dude, I love you. I don't even know what else you. to say at the end of this, but yeah, <laughs> it didn't, it didn't even feel like two hours, man. And I know yeah. we covered a lot, but um, you know, I, I, I just think that with the theme of this podcast being perseverance and moving forward, I mean, obviously I have a lot of musicians and stuff on the show because I love music and that's always been like a form of therapy for me. Um in addition to regular therapy, you know, uh, but, uh, I just thought, man, like he's got a really powerful story and I know there's people out there who are going to benefit from it. So thank you so much, dude.
1: Honor is all mine. And Mike, I love you too, man. You know, we might be, we might be, uh, brothers from different mothers, but I'll tell you what, you're, you're as close to blood as possible. You and Dave have been there through, you know, through my lowest times, you know you've been here through my successes you know we've 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 all been here for each other, we're basically the brothers that we've never had um and then to be able to come on here and talk and you know just to uh, you know have that continued love and support it means the world so you know the like pleasure's all mine man
0: right back at you, buddy. well, I love you enjoy the rest of your night and 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 positive vibes for the interview tomorrow, man you're gonna do great
1: yes, sir I appreciate it I love you, Mike you have a good night as well. All right, buddy. All right. See you later.
0: All righty-dighty. There you have it. That was my conversation with one of my best friends in the whole world, Chad Zerniak. Chad, buddy, I love you, and I can't thank you enough for being vulnerable and being open and being honest and taking the time to come on this podcast and share your story with the listeners of this show, man. I'm so proud of you that you got sober, that you've stayed sober, and that you found your purpose, and you want to help other people get sober and help other people get on a better path in their lives. It really is a beautiful thing. I've always known you to have a kind, good heart and a giving heart and a funny, silly heart, man, and I'm just so excited for What's ahead for you and I hope you continue to tap into that positive energy man because I know you got a lot of love to give and I'm just so excited for what lies ahead for you man. So thank you so much for coming on this show and, and like I said just being willing to go to those dark places with me to get the listeners to the light as well. So thank you so much buddy. I love you and for all of you out there listening. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as Chad and I enjoyed it. And if you are struggling, please know this you are loved you are worthy, you are worth it, you have purpose. Please do not be afraid to talk to somebody. Please do not be afraid to seek help. There are links in this podcast description. If you are struggling, and just know that you have purpose, man, and that you're loved and you're worthy and you're worth it, and that there is light ahead. If there's if there's anything to take away from Chad's story, it's that there is light ahead for you. So please don't give up. Please don't quit. And, uh, just know how much we love you and how much there are people in your life who love you, who want to see you succeed and see you get on a better path as well. So please don't quit. Please don't give up. Keep going, keep moving forward. And, uh, for everybody who, who did listen to this man, like, again, I just, uh, I'm really grateful. Sorry. I had a little bit of a nose itch. Oh, of course, as I'm trying to record the end of this thing. Um, but uh I know this was a long episode and I know it got really heavy you know um it was it was a heavy conversation uh, it's it's probably the heaviest show that I've done but I really felt like it was one that needed to be shared if Chad was willing to share it and again I just hope that it that it helps everybody out there and even if you're somebody who's doing well right now and uh you know everything's clicking and things are moving moving in a great direction hopefully it's just a reminder to keep doing the good work that you're doing You know, and and to help other people and extend your hand to people who maybe aren't doing so good. Man, this nose itch just won't go away. Oh, sinuses. But uh, it's probably a sign from the universe that I need to wrap it up. On that note, I'm just going to wrap it up officially by saying thank you again to everybody who has listened to the show. It really means a lot. And I hate begging for likes and subs and all that stuff. But if you would be so kind and you did enjoy the episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend. Like it, subscribe to the podcast, share the episode, and take a few moments to go to either Spotify or Apple and leave a rating in a review for the podcast because what that does is it helps to rank the uh, excuse me helps to show rank higher and it helps get these conversations out to more people and ultimately that's what I want, not because I want to be this famous and you know da 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 you know it's because i really I really hope. And I hope this doesn't sound self righteous. I hope that this show is just a light for people who listen to it, and I really hope it does inspire you to be a better person, and it inspires you to keep moving forward. You know, and and if you're in a dark point in your life right now, that it inspires you to keep going, and it, it inspires you to, to seek the light in your life, and and understand that there's there's positive things waiting for you, right? So that's why I want people to share the show because I I really hope that listeners, when they listen to this, that you know, one, I hope they're entertained, but more importantly, I really hope that they get something positive out of it. And, uh, so yeah, I really appreciate you guys. That would mean a lot to me. Again, you can follow me on Instagram at March 4th pod on Twitter at Mike V. Bauman and the, ho- and the host site rather is March So love y'all. I appreciate y'all. I hope that life finds you guys. Well, keep the faith and be kind to one another. I will see you on the next one. Peace.